You're listening to That's Pretty Dark. The podcast where we talk about all of the entertainment that scared us as children. And still haunts us as adults. So grab your flashlight and join us as we take a frightfully nostalgic look over our shoulders. And under our beds. And in our closets. And together we'll realize, whoa, that's pretty that's dark. That's pretty dark. What was the best, most fun, spookiest, scariest new thing that you watched for Halloween season? Typically, people ask me questions like this, and I can't remember a single thing I've watched for. <laughs> I've never the past watched year. a movie ever in my life. I've never seen a movie. What are you talking about? <laughs> That's why I started keeping a list. I've told you I have. I literally have a list of everything that I have watched since COVID. I need to do that. Since March 2020. I didn't ever do it before, but I found that it's come in handy. Now, this might come as a shock to some people, Mm. but I had, until this October, never seen Nosferatu. Oh, yeah. There you go. I had only seen it in pieces. Um, Obviously, I know what it is. I know all about it. It absolutely does shock me that you haven't seen it. It it is shocking. But you were shocked that I hadn't seen Psycho either. Also, yeah, that too. There's a lot of things to watch out there, okay? I've seen other things, (laughs) but I got to watch Nosferatu for the first time ever in my life from beginning to end in a gothic cathedral in Salem, Massachusetts, Mm. while the organist for the church played along his own organ. accompaniment. The accompaniment of the organ from beginning to end, an hour and a half of a live organ Playing That's insane. Over Nosferatu. Y'all, he sent me a picture of it and I was actually jealous and it's, really mad. <laughs> it was super cool. It was a one in a lifetime thing because this was this is the hundred year anniversary of the release of Nosferatu. Wow. And he was basically the centennial saying centennial of Nosferatu. Yeah. <laughs> this guy was cool, man. He was like giving you like all the history behind it and everything. Well, he taught he he briefly talked about it. He was, you could tell he was like it's in Salem. It's a church. And he's he's only getting as spooky as he's probably allowed to get yeah. in a church in Salem. But it was for Halloween. Two nights in October that he got to do this. And this was the second night. Wow. Actually, maybe the, the first night, I think, maybe was a different movie. So this may have been the only time he did it. That's so crazy. Live, at least. But it was way cool. Well, that's a, that's a win to answer to my question. That's the best answer. Yeah, I know. I'm like <laughs> actually glad have. I had an answer. I, I watched other cool <laughs> stuff. But that was... Um, that's a memorable thing for me that I probably, I hopefully will never forget that. Yeah. Uh, it was way, way cool. Can you imagine that being your job? Do that for movies? Yeah. Like a hundred years ago? Like to live score a movie. I mean, that'd be sick. That's how people used to watch movies. Right. He yeah, said yeah. that was the closest thing to how it would have been uh, viewed when it was released in 1922. Now that you're saying all this, I mean, obviously I wish I could have been there, but I was thinking about it the other day because... <laughs> My parents dropped off a bunch of stuff from my childhood the other day. Oh, right, just yeah. regularly. I've I now have a house, you know, being a 30-year-old person and they've started to offload all of my junk from my lifetime uh to my house. So now <laughs> I have to find Turn your space room into uh, an exercise room. <laughs> yeah. Like Basically. mine was. Honestly, my room was very much how I left it for many, many years after I moved out. So yeah. they're really just now getting to it. <laughs> um but they brought me a bunch of stuff and a lot of my schoolwork was in the boxes. It wasn't so much journal entries, it was more like writing prompts that I had to do in like third grade, fourth grade. Right. And I was struck by the amount of field trips that I got to go on as a child because I would write about the field trip. I'd be like, today I went to the symphony. It was excellent. You know, (laughs) I'm like nine years old. (laughs) You took field trips with homeschool? Of course. Yes. That's funny. Yes. I mean. Yeah, we definitely. I honestly, I took 
like I feel like I've seen I've gotten to see so many things and I see a lot of memes and posts like adults wishing that they could, you know, take a field trip in the middle of the day. Oh, and absolutely. See, you know, how things yeah. get made or whatever in the middle of a work day. Do you feel like you got to take more uh, field trips uh, being in a homeschool program? I don't think so. Because for the first several years that I was homeschooled, I took them with my class. Like I was homeschooled through the same school that I attended. Yeah, yeah. So I took them with my class. And so they were going on a lot of field trips. But hmm. all that to say, I feel like I got a lot more arts type immersion mm -hmm. when I was a kid because I was going to the symphony and the ballet and the orchestra and yeah, all those things. Yeah. But that, as you're talking about, it sounds like something that I would have been all over as like oh a fourth God. grader. <laughs> I wish this was a more common thing now. Yeah, me too. I mean, I, I've heard of this existing. It's nowhere near where we live. No. They don't do, they don't live score uh, movies. Yeah, no. But there were other theaters that did similar things. But this was the only one that was in an old Gothic church. We have a symphony that will do different um, pieces inspired, you know, they'll have nights yeah, that are inspired yeah, yeah, yeah. by certain things. Like they did a Pixar. That stuff is cool. Thing. You know, there'll, there'll be stuff like that, but it's definitely not on that level. I do try to see those things when they come. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. It's super cool. Our town, what place where we live are, is not great at supporting the arts or, no, you know, that kind of stuff in general, but we love it. And there is a really good community that does support it. It's just in the minority. It's a subculture. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Subculture. And speaking of that, uh, my name's Christian. Oh, hey, my name is Kaylin. <laughs> Thanks for listening to our own work of art. Now that you know about third grade, uh, Kaylin, you might as well know my name, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I took, I don't know, two or three actual good field trips. Oh my gosh, no. The others were I garbage. I for a field trip. <laughs> but every now and then there was a cool one we got to go on. But then once you're in high school, we didn't take field trips in high school. Yeah. So no. you had to be part of a, a particular group. Like I was in like the art club mm -hmm. and we took art field trips. <laughs> But it was if we could I mean, raise yeah, money. I would say the same. That's true. We had to like fund well. the actual event for us to even be, to be able yeah, to go on it. You had to work for it. It wasn't just a given anymore. Yeah, it wasn't just, yeah, you get your uh, permission slip signed and your parent comes and hates their whole day because they're sweaty and around like a hundred <laughs> terrible children. They do have to be around, yeah, a lot of kids. But other than that, I feel like if I was a parent, I would love field trip day. No, I feel like yes, I'd like it too. get me out of work. Let me go. I'll never forget how miserable my dad was going with us to space camp. <laughs> he was my, my group group leader. He was the group dad. Yeah. And he had to like sleep in our room and like eat with us and hang out with us. And he just didn't enjoy himself. Yeah. I mean, it's just weird to see your workaholic father trying to, yeah, <laughs> trying interact to come with your peers and stuff. Field trip with you. But I mean, you know, he's always been into like science fiction stuff. So he thought it was really fun going to space camp. It was cool. Yeah. No, I would have, I would have loved space camp. That was one that was on my list. It was that like I a never weekend thing. Did, but I did get to go to the space center. We mm -hmm. have like a couple, um, Within driving distance. There should be like to. adult night field trip oh, totally. experiences. There are some like different um, museums will have have adult night at their museum. They'll do cocktails and. That'd be dope. It's kind of oh cool. God. See, mm -hmm. I want like an adult Cub Scouts. <laughs> I want someone to take <laughs> me out into nature. That right now. Oh my God. Like, I would be so bad at that. Teach me how to start fires and like. <laughs> Oh, I had to survive in the wild. Anyway, I could just Google it, I'm sure. But Oh, yeah, I'm sure it exists. Because I've talked about wanting like just an adult summer camp in general. Not, uh, I don't need to be a Girl Scout. <laughs> that is not an experience that I ever needed no, to have. No, I don't want badges But or I did really enjoy a sleepaway camp and I only got to go a couple times. Yeah, you like that kind so. of stuff. I don't know that I like that. As a grown up. I'd rather just go rent a cabin on my own and like sit in front of the fire and read and sip whiskey for like a weekend, you know. <laughs> that's also that's my idea of valid. That's my idea of sleep away camp. <laughs> you don't want to make friendship bracelets with somebody. <laughs> no, I don't want to make friends. I don't want to, I don't want to get to know anybody. 
Oh my God. You know why? Because you can't trust anyone. You can't. And that's why we have a podcast. That's why we have a podcast. And and actually, that's a pretty good segue into today's mm-hmm. today's episode. Let's get into it. These <laughs> people are here to learn about this stuff. So let's talk about this stuff. So today we're here to discuss one of my absolute favorite Are You Afraid of the Dark episodes. Mm-hmm. The Tale of the Prom Queen. It's so good. This is the so penultimate episode of the first season, depending on, you know, what what list you're looking at, where you're looking. Mm-hmm, but it is mm-hmm. one of my very favorites. This one and The Tale of the Dream Girl from a later season. I don't remember that one. Two of my very favorites because I've always loved anything spooky and romantic. That has been a theme in my life. I can just yeah. appreciate it. Mm. And nothing has changed since this uh, was airing when I was a child. That kind of like haunted sad lovesick yes. like vibe wistful <sighs> you know yes. how i how i get about it i love it this one got me there for sure it strangely fits this time of year the hallowmas between all hallows eve and christmas mm-hmm. it's there's just a sadness to this time of year and i think it goes really well in this gap i think you're right and i don't think i'm the only one who thinks so because this episode the tale of the prom queen originally aired on today, <laughs> November 7th, 1992. Well, the day we're recording. Yeah. The day we're recording. Not today for you, listener. Yeah, sorry, yeah. but the day that we're recording. We've had a few instances where uh, our schedule lined up with some important Pretty close. things. I think this is the the most exact we've ever been, though. Recording yeah. this episode on the air, an- like the 30th anniversary of the air date. Mm-hmm. And this was really just the last day we could get away with recording. (laughs) I was about to say, (laughs) we're too close to the release date if you ask our editor. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, forget that guy. Who cares? That's future me. Yeah, we don't have to worry about editing Christian Future yet. me always hates past me. Everybody, yeah, wherever you are listening from, just say it, say a, a, a audible thank you to editing Christian. He will appreciate that. We do it regularly as he we're discussing things. the gratitude, yeah. <laughs> He's lonely. He needs all the love he can get. The Tale of the Prom Queen was directed by Jean-Marie Camo, mm-hmm. who I think we've mentioned before, probably, because he was either a line producer or supervising producer or consulting producer for 52 of the show's episodes. Yeah. So about half, right? Um, of total. That's, to it. that's almost all of them for the first five seasons. For the first five seasons. That's true. Right. Yeah. Wow. There were like 60 something total for the first five so seasons. So he was very involved and must have been very um, involved. Well, our even from DJ's right hand man, other than Ned Candle. Yeah. Eight episodes of season one, he was specifically a production manager. Yeah. UPM is up in the business. Oh, <laughs> all up in that business. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, like the line producer and like production manager, they kind of, they can often be pretty interchangeable. I know people who do both. For sure. He also directed a couple episodes of The Mystery Files of Shelby Wu. Really? But he was mostly also a line producer for that show, too. Wow. What a gig. Yeah, pretty cool. Kids, mystery, and horror. And I've seen Shelby Wu pop up on a few other Instagrams we follow. Me too. Yeah. This episode was written by none other than Chloe Brown. Mm. But listener, I am so pleased to tell you that this time... I have some very exciting information to insert right here. We know who Chloe is. We know who Chloe is officially (laughs) from the horse's mouth, not to call him a horse. Handsome horse. So I, he recently, DJ McHale recently did one of the Reddit AMAs and he answered a couple of questions, including mine. Yeah. And one of the things that I asked him was why he chose the pen name Chloe Brown. I've seen him give varying answers to this over the years. Yeah. To me, what he said was that the Canadians, in quotes, didn't want his name all over the show. And Chloe Brown was the name of his cat, so he decided to let his cat take the credit. 
Which made me love him all the more at this point. So we can act like his cat. Chloe his Brown cat wrote, it. wrote multiple episodes of Are You Afraid of We give of our cats credit for things all the time. So I related Sphinx to this. Sphinx is my number one proofreader. Yeah. We've, yeah, He's we've talked about that. He's read everything I've written. Yep. He sits in my lap while I'm editing <laughs> and he tells me how terrible it is and how I should be a better writer. And he's the reason that you are the writer you are today. Mm-hmm. He lights that fire under you it, like his orange cat Sometimes, waves. literally, he's the jack-o'-lantern that I need to get through, mm-hmm. you know, just every single day of my life. It's fancy. My little pumpkin boy. <laughs> I also asked why things got so dark in the 90s. I wanted his Mm, thoughts mm -hmm. around that whole phenomenon and how he kind of pioneered that movement. Yeah. And DJ in this session likened it to the success of High School Musical, which was a movie musical that used all of the cliches of the genre, but it absolutely blew up at the time because kids of that era had never seen it before. Right. Which personally, I beg to differ because I loved Greece even at that point in my life. <laughs> but <laughs> I get true. it. I there, get it. There were it's things a whole like new it slate before. It was just just the generation that he was marketing it to, or you know, that they marketed it to at the time. That Kenny Ortega marketed it to at the time. Yeah, exactly. And that's what he was saying is basically there were dark shows at the time, such as The Twilight Zone, that weren't exactly marketed to kids, but he wanted to bring them to that fresh new audience that was right. just coming of age in time to watch it and Mm -hmm. to be a part of it. Mm -hmm. We've talked before about how each generation is kind of a clean slate. It's kind of a new start. They've not heard these jokes. They've not heard the things that other generations are, have tired of potentially. It's a whole new world. Mm -hmm. And they decided DJ specifically, it seems decided to just submerge our slate into complete darkness (laughs) (laughs) and hope that we made it out. Okay. Yeah. 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 And I like to think that we did for the most part. No, I think we're pretty well-rounded. I also wanted to share a couple of other things that he talked about in this AMA because I thought it was fascinating. And obviously, it's the most recent time that we've gotten to hear from DJ himself. Yeah. But somebody asked him if he'd ever gotten pushback from the network on any episodes being too scary or too mature. Mm -hmm. In his response, you know, these were all written. They were all typed. He said, uh, (laughs) for many of the episodes, if you truly sit back and think about them, you know, the way that we're doing, (laughs) you definitely think these this is in quotes from DJ. Yeah. Geez, that's really dark for a kid's show. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. I was like, you were so close, DJ. We're you almost so, said our name. almost said it. <laughs> <laughs> but he said that most of the truly disturbing stuff that they mention over the course of Are You Afraid of the Dark wasn't depicted on camera. Mm-hmm. He said usually the things that the network raised their eyebrows at were like a death. Yeah. And yeah. his response to that was, you can't have a ghost story without a death. Mm-hmm. And they'd be like, oh, that's true. Okay. Yeah. And he, He said that they also showed some concern that, quote unquote, religious folks, you know, like the folks who had trouble with Harry Potter, (laughs) would just think it was Satanism or something. There you go. And he said his response to that was always, no, it's just magic. And they'd say, oh, okay. (laughs) See, he is a man after our own heart. Like he really is everything that we've been talking about for over a year now. Yeah. He said that magic's a very friendly word. So... Mm-hmm. It kind of alleviated those fears from yeah. the network, which I thought was... And he's right. You cannot have a ghost story without a death. We as humans are always grieving and losing, and that is what a lot of our art comes from. You can't have life without death. It just doesn't exist. <laughs> it's, That's it's, a fact. <laughs> it's, it's tough. It's hard. It's awful, and that is in very simple terms, but it's true. Mm-hmm. And that really brings us full circle, you know, through that whole discussion with DJ. Mm-hmm. It brings us into our discussion of the prom queen today. 
because the tale of the prom queen, the story is age old. It's a twist on a very classic urban legend, which a lot of people would refer to as a vanishing hitchhiker tale. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. fun fact, this was the first episode that DJ ever wrote and pitched to Nickelodeon. So this is kind of what the whole series was riding on. That's freaking cool. And I can feel it when I watch this. There's a reason this is one of my favorites. This one stuck out to me. Absolutely. I I felt this one in a big way. It made me really wish I could go back to those dark, early 90s Saturday nights Mm -hmm. and watch these episodes all for the first time as they were airing. Yeah. Because it was such an event, you know? Absolutely. This one felt like it was- An event. Really like an an event. It totally makes sense that this was like the first uh, story that he pitched as this is what the show is going to feel like. Yeah. Wow. This is what the show will be. That's way cool. And this is really what was the catalyst for the whole series. That's way cool. I love that. I will also say, listener, and hopefully you're thinking this too, the episode bears a striking resemblance to the plot of the Disney TV movie, Suzy Q. Mm. <laughs> uh, I'm You've sure I'm not the before. only one that conflated those two. Yeah, I've talked with you about it a lot because I thought about Suzy Q for so many years. It only aired on Disney Channel, and so I would watch it, yeah. and you couldn't really get it anywhere else. So it was kind of like one of those fever dream things. Right. And I would kind of you know, conflate these two two stories because they are so, so similar. Mm-hmm. And I've written notes on that one. One day we'll cover Suzy Q because I think it's great too. But a lot of the things I think we talk about today will apply in that case as well. Yeah. When did Suzy Q come out? Sorry. I'm no. to interrupt. Suzy Q came out in 1996. Wow. So. Okay. It wasn't a thing. So DJ did it first. DJ did it first. Yep. Very cool. This story also drew inspiration, it seems, from a very famous legend called Resurrection Mary. Mm. And Resurrection Mary supposedly haunts Resurrection Cemetery outside of Chicago. Oh, interesting. I will talk a lot more about that as we get into the episode, but very, very interesting story. And I think we need to put that on our list of places to go. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) I haven't seen, I haven't heard of that. So one unique thing about this episode um, to alleviate uh, sort of the burden of having to do all the research we split the research for this episode. Which we have not done for previous Are You Afraid of the Dark episodes. We kind of teach one another. So this will be a new format. But I have not heard of Resurrection Mary, and that's super cool. Wow. I cannot wait okay. to hear about that. Yeah, I've got a lot to go into. About The Vanishing Hitchhiker, though, one more sure. thing about DJ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And The Prom Queen, especially. DJ said that this story, the prom queen story, was inspired by an urban legend that he heard growing up about a high school that was near his town. Yeah, yeah, sure. And he talked about this in the same Reddit AMA. So he mentioned it recently. This was something that he was in the lore of his childhood Uh growing up. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of that, he said that some of the elements from Twisted Claw also came from his own childhood experiences, especially... That opening scene of Twisted Claw. Yeah. Hopefully you and the listener can go back in your mind and remember Uh whenever we covered Twisted Claw. (laughs) But he said that he saw an entity float by his own bedroom door when he was a child. And he lived in a haunted house. No way. And that's where that opening sequence came from, too. (laughs) So I really like hearing from DJ that this was something close to his heart as a kid or something that he heard a lot and turned it into a story that he pitched to a network that eventually gave us that. what we know and love as Are You Afraid of the Dark? That's how urban legends work. Mm-hmm. It, it's something that you hear growing up and it's told as this true story. Um, and of course, we we just accept them as stories, whether or not they are true or whether or not they have an actual true origin. 
But that's way cool that he just like, it's just something that he remembered that stuck with him. Mm-hmm. And he said, whenever I get to, I'm going to tell this yeah, story. I'm going to, I'm going to tell this story. And he did. See, I have things like that too in my life. And I'm like, I know that you do. I know I you get, would appreciate it. When I get to that <laughs> You tell point, me all the time. You're like, there's this thing that I need to talk about. Mm-hmm. I'm just waiting for the right opportunity. DJ found his. So yeah, hopefully you find yours too. Good for him. Cause he made us what we are too today. Mm-hmm. And uh, so speaking of urban legends and the vanishing hitchhiker and all that fun stuff, I have been reading up on sort of the culture of urban legends and how they exist and why they exist. Shocking. Right, listeners? Right. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. (laughs) A few months ago, I got a copy of this book called The Vanishing Hitchhiker by Jan Harold Brunvand. And he is a Uh, professor and a folklorist, but the subtitle is American Urban Legends and Their Meanings. So it's not just about that one, but he he kind of uses that one as a prime example, like to study urban legends of like how they function, how they evolve over time, and how each unique telling, like when it's recorded, by whom, you know, et cetera, et cetera, what that says specifically about the culture Mm -hmm. about the collective unconscious of like Mm -hmm. where we're at people feeling and thinking at this point in time exactly but as a collective zeitgeist so we've dabbled in urban legends a little on the podcast so far but this is the first official real life urban legend that we have covered thus far would you say Um, so even with the headless cabbie so far we've mostly discussed motifs sure and these are story elements that make urban legends popular or timeless. Mm -hmm. So like, for example, like a headless woman wearing a ribbon around her neck. Mm -hmm. That's a motif. Um, A ghost train is a motif. We have headless horseman types with a headless cabbie from Hey Arnold. But these are just elements of stories that make them significant, that pique our interest, that make us want to share that detail over and over again. Those are core elements. Those are like standard procedure elements of these stories that are carried through every time the story is told. But each time the story is told, there are variations given to the story to make it unique or make it relevant to where you live, like your region. Mm -hmm. It happened on Highway 5. It happened up, you know, on so-and-so road up there. And it happened to my my best friend growing up, her cousin. Right. Or it was my college roommate, a girl she grew up with. This happened to her. Things like that. Ways to personalize the motif and the story idea. Yes, but it remains just distant enough and just anonymous enough that it's still like, you can't really fact check it. Mm -hmm. We usually don't think to fact check these stories. Usually we accept them at face value. Yeah. We enjoy them because they're spooky and they're scary. And it's like, what the hell? That's crazy. But they're given just enough information, just enough credence to be believable. Mm -hmm. And one fun thing I really enjoy about uh, Jan, he says that we have to accept them as false. They can't be true, but they're told as true stories. So he calls them these false true stories. So I think that's a really fine distinction. And that's (laughs) that's really um, kind of also fun because... Urban legends, as a rule, typically are made up of opposites, like we talk about with any good liminal space. It's two opposites converging and meeting in the middle. Mm -hmm. You know, old and young, life and death. It's typically these two opposites meeting in one unique scenario. Mm -hmm. And so each telling is unique in its own way, but with the same common thread. 
woven through all of them, so that the context of the story remains the same every single time. And that's why I love urban legends. I mean, that's just, mm-hmm. that's, it's folklore, but urban legends are unique because they're very modern. Right. It's modern folklore is what urban legends are. Totally. So he says, urban legends are realistic stories concerning recent events or alleged events with an ironic or supernatural twist. The storytellers assume that the true facts of each case lie just one or two informants back down the line Mm -hmm. with a reliable witness or in a news media report. And so he says, urban legends are folklore, not history. Mm -hmm. So urban legends are told seriously, circulate largely by word of mouth, are generally anonymous, and vary constantly in particular details from one telling to another while always preserving a central core of traditional elements or motifs, yep, which is what I've been talking about. But he says, the stories do tell one kind of truth. They are a unique, unself-conscious reflection of major concerns of individuals in the societies in which the legends circulate. Mm-hmm. This is what's important to this group at the time. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And then he says in another section, The legends we tell reflect many of the hopes, fears, and anxieties of our time. So it's specifically what we cling to, Mm -hmm. what grips us initially about the story, and what forces us to retell that story to someone else. That shows that story's significance to us, who we are, what it means to us. It's the the same concept. I really enjoy and appreciate the way you put that because it's the same concept I always say like when people recommend music to me, when people recommend movies to me and art to me, I'm going to be looking for the things that they saw that resonated with them. Yes. That's how I get to know people. That's a neurodivergent thing I recognize. Not everybody thinks like that. That's how we became friends, I think, just talking about things that mattered to us. Right. Yeah. And I think I think that's more common, thankfully, a common way to get to know other people. Yeah, for and sure. And it's one of the easiest ways for me to relate to other people is through fiction, mm-hmm. which is <laughs> why I have a podcast, <laughs> among many other reasons. Right. That's why but. we're here talking about all this stuff. <laughs> but yeah, I want yeah. listener, remember that idea and hang on to it as we move through today's episode and the stories in these episodes, because mm-hmm. I think they do reflect the fears and the uh, commentary of people at the time. Like you said, the elements that hang on are the elements that people wanted to relay, you know, based on their Mm -hmm. point of view and their worldview and how they thought and felt. Because it scared them in a particular way, right? It struck that nerve that mattered. I'm excited because there are some moments that that are going to tie into some other stuff we've talked about. And I think it's going to make a lot of sense to a lot of people. Oh, yeah. Welcome to your sociology class, listener. (laughs) Didn't know what you were signing up for today. (laughs) Yeah, you did. You know what we're all about here. Um, So we are definitely going to dive into more of these particular urban legends and the different versions of them that have been told over time. But before we do that, we need to introduce this episode and get into the telling of it, who's telling it, and why it matters for the purposes Mm -hmm. of November 7th, 1992. (laughs) Oh. 30 years ago. 30 years ago. To Right down to the day Wait, for us. Was it 30 years ago in like five days? <laughs> Four days for you guys? <laughs> for, for the listener, yes. <laughs> yeah. The first thing we see is this like ghostly looking woman. Oh, yeah. <laughs> walking through the woods, you know? Mm. She's wearing this translucent fabric, like a veil mm. or something. I can't, it's like a veil. Wow. It's like a lace shawl. Yeah, kind of, yeah. And we immediately see more proof as to why you shouldn't be late to a midnight society meeting. Because <laughs> they're going to talk d- shit about you. Still not here. 
Like you're surprised? She's always late. Oh my god, they're talking so much. Oh, it frustrated Shit me. about Kristen. It's the makeup. It's always the makeup. If she's not beautiful, she stays home. There's so much misogyny in this, which is not a new thing for the Midnight Society. It's from the girls? But it is exactly. But that's, that's what I'm saying. It's internalized misogyny. It's from the yeah, society that they were, right. they were sexualized in. And they're, you know, they were taught that women are bad because X, Y, Z. And then the men mm -hmm. sit back and let the women project it onto other women, which I've told you before, I was like that. I was a kiki. Yeah. I was that kind sure. of kid. I sure. was a tomboy and I talked the exact same way about any girl that dared to wear makeup. I was the same way. And it's sickening <laughs> to watch now because I'm like, ugh. <laughs> Awful. She can wear makeup and, you know, that's okay. Like, it doesn't have to be a negative thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I will say that her outfit, she kind of looks more like a bride than a prom queen. <laughs> it was very much like a bride, yeah. <laughs> Seemed very bridal. Yeah, I don't know. It, it Like, I could see them kind of go like, okay, we'll make you look like a bride because how else do we represent a dead, like, prom sure. queen? It was still a ghost. A dead bride is way scarier than a dead bride prom queen just ask the haunted mansion i could also see Kristen going well i have this weird veil thing i, I don't, don't have wear anything my prom else dress. <laughs> it, i could see it working on multiple levels yeah i think it was okay i just thought it was funny i, I think it still has that that element of romance is what's important in the story I it think. does hold the romance on a pedestal i kind of wish that i had asked now that we're talking about it i wish that i had asked why this aired so late in the season when it was mm -hmm. one of his original first ideas for the the series right I wish that I had asked if he had any input in the order, and if so, why this was so late in the game. Because I can absolutely see, you know, for me as a kid, I would have loved it. From the get-go, this one sold me. I was into it. I was about it. Yeah. But I feel like you could turn off certain groups of people if you start, like, hardcore romance or if you have those types of themes yeah. early on. A kid might not be into it. Sure. So you kind of had to earn it. Being a uh, boy right. in the 90s. The way that you were socialized. Yeah, I don't remember watching this episode. Listener, please tell us whether you were raised male or female and if this meant <laughs> something to you. I really appreciate it now, but I don't think I would have been particularly into it as a kid, mm -hmm. as a young boy. Mm -hmm. And usually when it involved girls, mm -hmm. I was less... Well, not that I wasn't interested in girls, <laughs> but that I was less interested in the things that girls were interested in. Right. If that makes any sense. It's long been said in TV, I think we've discussed it on the show before, but that girls will watch a show about a boy as the lead character. Exactly. But boys won't typically watch a show with where a girl is a lead character. Typically. And that's, you know, I say typically, it's not even typical. Yeah, it's yeah. just like data-wise, you're going to get more viewers with a male lead character. But I say that, though, as a boy who played with dolls. You had older sisters. All mm -hmm. the toys are dolls. All of them. Even Full House touches on Action that. Action figures They're are dolls. just dolls. Yeah, it's all dolls. They're all dolls. But it's also teaching you skills. Play is teaching and development. Yeah, it's, it's silly. It's silly. <laughs> but for the purposes of today, I really liked the romance aspect of it. And I like how it's handled. Because honestly... You know, male, female, whatever, this is a very feminine mm -hmm. ghost story. Yes. I specifically drew a contrast between this one and Phantom Cab because that's a very similar type of mm -hmm. car-related urban legend, but it's very action-packed, very thrilling, very high stakes, mm -hmm. whereas this is much more subtle, Drawn out. melancholy, and sad. Yeah. And I would say that Phantom Cab was very masculine. Yeah, in the presentation. Whereas this is very feminine. And not just because the characters are male and female, but just because, the, you're right, the, the presentation. The way that they tell the story. Mm -hmm. There are strengths to both of them. And there are elements of this episode I appreciate way more than, say, 
Phantom Cab. Same. This one in particular, I really liked the poignant nature of it. Mm-hmm. Kristen eventually does arrive, you know, in her getup. Right. She shows she up. She spooks them a little bit. <laughs> and it's just funny to me that no matter how many times there's like a gimmick from the storyteller, they always fall for it. <laughs> every time. They always get scared every They're time. They're a good audience. What can you say? They're a good audience. But see, I appreciate that because I've said multiple times I can let myself be scared by things that are not scary because I want to buy into the experience. Exactly. You know? I think that's what it's what it's about. I think that's part of the Midnight Society oath that you take. Mm-hmm. You sort of agree to let yourself be scared. Mm-hmm. I will I like suspend that. my disbelief. I will, I will be here in the woods with you and mm. forget all else. So Kristen says, as this ghostly apparition, I've come to tell you a story. My tale is one of woe. It's been told around many campfires. I'm here to tell the one true version. And this emphasis on truth is significant. As my friend uh, Jan says in his Vanishing Hitchhiker, the stories that people believe to be true hold an important place in their worldview. This is in quotes. If it's true, it's important. End quote. Mm -hmm. So if it's true, it's important. Is an axiom to be trusted whether or not the lore really is true or not. So it's the the stories that we hear and we go, that's got to be true. Mm-hmm. He says that this says a lot about us. It really goes along with like almost confirmation bias. Mm-hmm. You know, when yeah. you think of something and, you know, we see it all the time in our modern society. But when you mm-hmm. decide, I want that to be true, that says more about yes. you than whether the thing is yes. true or not. When you want something to be true. And as is the nature of urban legends, mm-hmm. we as a culture, as a society, we all of us want this to be true. And I think that's that's ghost stories in general. That's why they last, yeah, so long. We want to know that we can figure out what's next. We want to know, mm-hmm. the you know, we want to figure out and understand the unknown. Absolutely. And that's honestly, that's pretty much exactly what Jan says. Mm-hmm. It helps us make sense of impossible things. We mm-hmm. It gives us some level of understanding to inexplicable things. Mm-hmm. It, it helps us make sense of the world, which is also something that we've been saying for over a year Yes, about why this media is so important and why we're still talking about it today, 30, 30 years, years later. later. So Kristen submits for the approval of the Midnight Society, the tale of the prom queen. Yeah. So this story opens in a graveyard with a girl standing over a gravestone. As if taking a moment for silent prayer. And so she's alone in the middle of this vast landscape of, you know, gravestones. Absolutely and gorgeous graveyard. It's beautiful. It's so and I didn't pretty. look up to see where they shot this, but I want to go. Something that happens later makes me believe that the story takes place in Connecticut, but I can't say that they oh, obviously filmed it in Connecticut. I, I have know. the same research for Connecticut. Yeah. <laughs> Either way, the graveyard is beautiful, and it reminds me a lot of the same graveyard in um, one of my favorite movies, Elizabeth Down. And then I started thinking yeah. to myself about why do so many of my favorite pieces of media have graveyards in them? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, this this girl, she hears some spooky laughter, and she goes looking for the source of it. And then she's cornered by these two guys who are just hanging out in the graveyard. And while I understand that it's a funny uh, prank, to scare someone who's alone in a graveyard. It's not funny if you don't already know that person. Correct. And if you don't do it from a safe distance. Correct. I would be more afraid of two dudes in a graveyard than I would be of any ghosts. Absolutely. They show up and scare her. And then when she tries to escape, they block her in and keep her from running away. Not cool. And it's incredibly predatory. Yeah. 
I mean, these two guys, they don't act like they have good intentions. Mm-mm. And it's two guys and one girl. It surprised me watching it back. You know, that just that moment, I was like, oh, I don't think that it doesn't was read intended. the same way that it did. I think DJ just meant, you know, show a girl being scared sure. by a couple of goofs in a graveyard. I think we as a society know more now than we did then. About how this can go very wrong. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's quickly resolved. And here's the deal. Her name is Dee Dee. And she's just there to put some wildflowers on a grave. These two guys are named Jam <laughs> and Greg. Another another ridiculous name. We got Sticks. We got Ouija. <laughs> the weirdest names. And now we have Jam. I wonder if, if uh, DJ had a cat named Jam. He had a hamster named Jam. <laughs> something like that. So to talk about our actors here, our players for this evening's Theatrical performance. I can tell you, yeah. Dee Dee is played by uh, an actress named Katie Griffin. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have her her breakdown of her career. Yes. Do you? No, please go for it. I just had a couple of things that I thought were fun about her. Gotcha. Really outstanding career. And I think you're going to say the same things that I'm going to say. Most likely. She's an actor, voice actor, and a singer. And this is her only Are You Afraid of the Dark credit. But she went on to have a very successful voice acting career, which she's still doing today. But her best known roles are as Ray, aka Sailor Mars on the Sailor Moon uh, series, as well as Alex in Totally Spies. Mm-hmm. And she's Ruby on Max and Ruby. That's and what was I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the two bunny rabbits. Max and Ruby was like a thing. My little sister liked it. I, I didn't watch them, but I know I, I would be able to point them out. I still remember like the theme song because we would turn it on for my sister. It was such a quaint show like Arthur. Yes. Like Richard Scary type. Easy thing. to watch. Like Oswald. The uh, octopus. Franklin, Little Bear. Um, yeah, she was Nina Harper on Braceface. Did you know that Alicia Silverstone and Michael Sarah were also on Braceface? No. I reference Braceface all the time, and that just popped out to me this, this <laughs> no. week when I was reading this. <laughs> I didn't know that. That's insane. Yeah. <laughs> but do you also know the credit that I'm about to talk about? I don't know. Do I? I think you do, because <laughs> she also voiced the character Bunny on Courage the Cowardly Dog. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the episode "The Mask," which is the one where Kitty is on the run from the gangster Mad Dog, there's mm, one of the Courage episodes I remember best. Crazy, but she was Bunny. She was on Courage, the Cowardly Dog, and Are You Afraid of the Dark? So I think that's pretty special. I cannot wait to get to Courage. But also significant to me is something that we noticed. Me and my sister Lauren noticed when we were watching the first season. Katie Griffin looks just like my friend. Lizzie. Oh, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> Do you ever see what she looks like? Did you ever meet her? I don't think so. Let me show you her picture real quick. Let me find her. I really appreciated their wardrobe. I will say that as well. They looked so 90s. I have jeans that look like uh, jams, mm-hmm. but I wear Greg's mm-hmm. outfit like all the time. I Yeah. Multiple people have told me that I dress like it's the 90s. Yeah. I got told that last night, actually. <laughs> Can you see? Whoa. Whoa. She looks just like her. Yeah. Wow. That's her now. Imagine her 20 years ago in school. Sure. Yeah. When she was the age of this character. That's crazy. Um, Oh my gosh. Looks just like her, right? Yeah. Identical. One of those faces, Katie Griffin. One of those faces. Yeah. But me and Lauren were like, oh my God, it's Lizzie. (laughs) (laughs) Jam is played by a guy named uh, Graham Millington. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is his only Are You Afraid of the Dark credit. But he appeared in the movie Tommy Boy <laughs> and uh, was a series regular on the Black Harbor series. Oh. And he gives me very young Army Hammer vibes. Yeah. Did you get that? I wasn't. I'm, we'll talk about it. But as we go on, I, f- yeah. I don't know if it was the directing 
or his performance. Yeah. But he leans in a little too hard. On a lot of stuff. On a lot of stuff. Right. For my taste. For my taste, too. I do think these were some of the better actors we've seen so far. they were also older, I think. They were older. They were playing into like a very um, neighborhood theater performance type approach. It felt like a, a lot of wink, wink, nudge, nudge acting. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Confidence, but not necessarily skill. I, I just feel like his direction was like, you're always telling a spooky story. You're always, always. ominous. No matter what, yeah. you're telling a spooky story. Everything he said was very... It had that tone about it. Yeah. Which, for a kid's show. Okay. Sure. <laughs> sure. But then we have Greg, who's played by Andre Todorovic. I had a crush on is... him when I was little, totally. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. That makes sense. <laughs> And this is also his only Are You Afraid of the Dark credit, uh, but he appeared in the new Ghost Rider Mysteries. Wow. Mm-hmm. Who knew? Not me. But those are our players. Welcome to the Are You Afraid of the Dark stage. <laughs> I would see the, whatever theater that is. Same. I would go to that black box for sure. We were just talking about that. Yeah, Why not? Let's go to these local outings. I'll do it. I'll do it. <laughs> I love local theater. <laughs> love local theater. Sometimes. <laughs> In these two goofballs uh, are at the cemetery looking for a grave that belongs to the star of a local urban legend, a teenage girl who was killed by a hit-and-run driver while waiting for her date to pick her up on prom night. So this is the legend as told by Jam. You ready for this? Mm-hmm. It's not verbatim. I kind of paraphrase some of it, but so some, put, some of it's Put you back quoting. in the scene, listener, where they are. You know, they've just, these guys have just spooked this girl who's putting flowers on a grave in a cemetery. They don't know. Mm-hmm. They've met her. And they begin to tell her this legend, the reason that they are in the graveyard. And they're like, you haven't heard the story? And the more douchebag annoying one <laughs> <laughs> yeah. named Jam tells yeah, the story. Yeah, because like, he's like, no, no, I tell it best. Yeah. You, Greg, shut up. I'm going to tell the story. <laughs> We all knew that kid. So he says something like this. It happened a long time ago, on prom night. A girl was waiting by the gates for her date to pick her up. She was all set to go, wearing her prom dress and everything. But it was a foggy night, the kind where you can't see cars coming until it's too late. So there she was, waiting in the fog, when a car came ripping around the corner. The driver took the turn too wide, and he bounced over the curb, and he hit her. Smack! He sneaks up behind Dee Dee as he's saying this. Smack! Smack! Claps in her ear. The guy just drove off. Didn't even realize what he'd done. Mm. They found her the next morning, and a couple days later, they buried her in In her her prom prom dress. dress. Every year on prom night, the ghost of the girl comes back. People have seen her by the gates. Still waiting for the ride. Still waiting for the ride that never never comes. comes. And we're going to see if it's true. And I think it's a lot of fun. I mean, trigger warning, I guess. It's pretty dark. <laughs> it's pretty dark. It's I really mean, dark. I could see why they didn't open the whole series with this episode. Sure. It's heavy. It's uh, heavy. Pretty heavy. But it's also, listener, probably strangely familiar to you. Probably is. Because no matter where you are, your town or your state, your area probably has a version a version of the story of this story here we have another tragically beautiful example of a residual haunting yes because the ghost of the girl returns to the cemetery gates every year on prom night waiting for her ride it doesn't carry the weight or the thrill of this 
hit and run occurrence mm-hmm. that's part of the story. Um, nothing like the Phantom Cab with mm-hmm. how the cab wrecks itself. Where you relive that every tra- time. traumatic moment over and over. But this episode keeps this haunting sad. Yeah. It's the aftermath more so than the actual moment. It's just experiencing the loss of the night Mm -hmm. more so than reliving the moment of impact. This is just the type of haunting found within the urban legend that Jam tells. By the end of the episode, we will learn a little bit more about the true haunting category of the actual haunting. Mm -hmm. Yes. But like we've been saying, and like Kristen says at the top of this episode, this sort of ghost story isn't unique just to this evening. Different variations of it have been told around many a campfire, all using these same core motifs. Mm -hmm. The girl in the prom dress, the absent boyfriend, and the hit and run. This might be a good time for me to break down the legend of Resurrection Mary. I was about to say, (laughs) let's hear it. Like I said, or like we've discussed, there are kind of elements of two different urban legends merging here. Mm-hmm. We've got elements of the vanishing hitchhiker, yeah, but we also have elements of another story called Resurrection Mary. Mm-hmm. It's said to be Chicago's most famous ghost. Wow, which I feel like it's saying a That's lot. That's a big deal, Chicago. Mm-hmm. Lots of people have died in Chicago. Yes, <laughs> right. So many people have died in Chicago. My God. Ever since the 1930s. Several men driving northeast along Archer Avenue between Willowbrook Ballroom and Resurrection Cemetery hmm. have reported picking up a young female hitchhiker. Hmm. This young woman is dressed formally in a white party dress with light blonde hair and blue eyes. There are other reports that she wears a shawl and dancing shoes and she's carrying like a small clutch purse with her. Yeah. A lot of the reports say that she's very quiet. And as the driver nears Resurrection Cemetery... She disappears into it. Hmm. There was a story released in the Chicago Tribune in 1985 in which the self-declared, I think, full-time ghost hunter named Richard Crow (laughs) had collected three dozen substantiated reports of Mary from the 1930s into the 1980s. They say in the legend that Mary had an argument with her boyfriend And she stormed away up the road. You know, she was at the ballroom with her boyfriend, supposedly. Right. Stormed away up the road and was killed in a hit-and-run accident. Hmm. Which, to me, in 2022, sounds a little bit more like a misogynistic cautionary tale against being outspoken or argumentative or (laughs) arguing or disagreeing with your, you know, owner, male counterpart. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the the boyfriend. The boyfriend. So my next question when learning about Resurrection Mary was, are there any links to Resurrection Mary with the cemetery? You know, is is it someone that's buried there? Right, right. There have been a lot of researchers that have attempted to link this haunting to one of the thousands of people buried in that cemetery. Yeah. One of these potential matches, I guess, is uh, Mary Brigovi, who died in 1934, But her death came from an automobile accident in the downtown Chicago Loop. Okay. So it wasn't on that same roadway. Wasn't the right, yeah, geography. Right. Hmm. In 1999, a Chicago author named Ursula Bielski documented a potential connection to another person buried in the cemetery named Anna Maria Norcus, who died in 1927 in an auto accident while on her way home from the O'Henry Ballroom. Hmm. So a different a different ballroom. Okay. But she died in a car accident on the way home. And that theory has gained popularity 
recently. Yeah. Wow. There are lots of other stories over the years that involve men meeting a woman at, you know, local ballrooms or nightclubs in the area. In 1973, Mary was said to have shown up at Harlow's nightclub on Cicero Avenue in Chicago's southwest side. And in that same year, a cab driver came into Chet's Melody Lounge, which is across the street from the Resurrection Cemetery, to inquire about a young lady who left without paying her fare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there there have been sightings, said to be sightings, in 1976, 1978, 1980, 1989, yeah. which involved cars striking or nearly striking Mary, someone resembling Mary, right. outside of Resurrection Cemetery. But Mary always disappears by the time the motorist exits their car. Right. In this book, Jan talks about um, all the different variations of the vanishing hitchhiker. Mm -hmm. It's all the same stuff you're saying. You know, somebody gets in, they ask to be let out early at the cemetery, and they walk into the cemetery. Or it's go to my, uh, my parents' house, my father's house, whatever. Right. The girl's always gone before they get there. Mm -hmm. But he tells one particular story that's really fun about a couple of guys who meet a girl at a nightclub. She asks for a ride home. And then she is cold, so she asks for one of their jackets. And as they're passing a cemetery on the way to her her house or whatever, she asks to be let out. And she goes into the cemetery. Mm -hmm. And when they go looking for her, they find the coat draped around a gravestone. Mm -hmm. So that's really interesting that you mentioned like a nightclub or like a whatever, meeting somebody at like a place. They There's ask for a lot a of merging home. of these things. There are dozens, if not hundreds of different versions of the same story. So I'll go back from this and how they all merged to the vanishing hitchhiker story that we talked about earlier. Yeah. And as you probably can tell, listener, for as long as we've been talking about it, there is so much to say about this specific urban legend. Because mm -hmm. everybody kind of makes it their own. Even our very favorite Disney attraction, the Haunted Mansion, yeah. makes references to a vanishing hitchhiker or a hitchhiking ghost. Yeah, the hitchhiking ghost. ghost. Yeah. I went down a Wikipedia rabbit hole for many, many hours. <laughs> but I would like to just try to break down some of what I learned for you guys today. So like I said, the story has many names, many variations. Ghostly hitchhiker, disappearing hitchhiker, phantom hitchhiker. Yeah. Uh, in the legend... In general, people traveling by vehicle meet with or are accompanied by a hitchhiker who vanishes without explanation, often from a moving vehicle. Yes. We saw some examples of this legend popping up, like you've been saying when we did our Phantom Cab episode. Hell yeah. We talked about some of the- With the tsunami. The tsunami. We talked about some of the real world mm -hmm. uh, instances of haunted cab rides. So they kind of merged together. And I will say, this was published in 1981. So if this was a current uh, printing of this book- he probably would have a bunch of different examples from the tsunami in Japan. Yeah, honestly, probably so. I have a quote from your book, actually, in my notes. Hell yeah, hit me. <laughs> Just the fact that uh, the vanishing hitchhiker stories can be traced as far back as the 1870s, and there are recognizable parallels in Korea, Tsarist Russia, uh, Chinese Americans, Mormons, Ozark Mountaineers— Everybody has their vanishing hitchhiker story. And that's freaking cool because I didn't know you found that, but I bought this book and I've been <laughs> reading the actual spelled out variations that you're talking about yeah. in this book. Yeah. I love doing this like dual research. It's interesting. It's a new way of, of thinking about it. Because we're both drawing the same conclusions. Separately. You know, but separately. And then bringing them together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fun. I, to that's me, fun. it's just fascinating that this is such a widespread phenomenon. Right. It's insane to me that so many people have this type of a ghost story, which to me lends to the credibility of this story in some 
realm. You know, there's something about this <laughs> that has to be true, right? Like we, we keep saying. Well, see, it's funny you say that because the opposite is supposed to be true. Sure. That it leads to The more to that it's that swirled it's around, true. then it sounds more false. But I just, I don't know. There are so many... F- so many quote unquote firsthand right. accounts. Well, I, I just think it says more about how important it is to us really and what it too. means to us sure. on a deep, deep level. But. So Wikipedia says that the most likely first documented example of this type of a legend is in an over 400 year old Swedish manuscript by a priest who was known to be, and this is a, uh, a title that I hope you and I both get, <laughs> uh, he was known to be a collector of omens. Okay. But in this story, which, like I said, is believed to be the original vanishing hitchhiker type story. Wikipedia says. Uh, it was February of 1602. Mm-hmm. A priest and two farmers were on their way home from the market, and a maid asked to go along with them. And at the end, they got off to eat a, get a bite to eat, and the maid wanted something to drink, and so they got her a jug of beer. And the first time the innkeeper fetched beer for her and brought it back, the jug was filled with malt. But the second time, it was filled with acorns and finally blood. Hmm. So they were horrified. Yeah. And the maid explained to them that that meant that the year would yield much grain and plenty of fruit on the trees, but there would be war and pestilence. And then she disappeared. Oh, I see. Yes. The omen is very common in The Vanishing Hitchhiker. Yes. Variations. A lot of these stories, there's this element of prophecy or foretelling. Yes. A lot of them are bad omens. Mm-hmm. But there's this this element that they're going to tell you something that's going to happen, something that's coming. A lot of the ones I read about from this book are how long the war was going to last. Yes. Mm-hmm. Lots of World War II. Predicting and then eventually the end of the war a lot of Vietnam or, stuff. Yes. Totally. Yeah. Uh, There were several common elements through these stories, but also several notable variations of the Vanishing Hitchhiker story. Yeah. One, of course, that they depart like a normal passenger, but they left some item in the vehicle or they borrowed a garment for protection against the cold. Mm -hmm. And the Vanishing Hitchhiker might leave some form of information that encourages the driver to make contact with them later. And then in those accounts, that is often when the garment is found in a cemetery. Right. They leave something that has to be found later, which leads to the proof. Right. And they have to take it to the house and the people go, Mm -hmm. this belonged to my daughter. She died 10 years ago. That's what it is. Mm -hmm. Which reminds me of, Cabby, it sure is cold (laughs) out. Yeah. Won't you take my scoff? Exactly. Thanks, lady. <laughs> sure is cold out. Wow, you do a good earning. I just find this endlessly fascinating. I know. The driver will this. make contact with the family of a deceased person using information that the hitchhiker left behind and finds that the family, you know, describes them as deceased. Yeah. So this that is a frequent uh, phenomenon in these stories that they'll go to the house of the family and the family will inform them they've been dead for years. Yeah. Where they see a picture, a photograph on the wall or something mm-hmm. and they say, that's her there. And in those stories, usually they were killed in some unexpected way typically a car accident. A car accident, yeah, usually. And often they'll say that the interaction occurred on the anniversary of the death of that person. This is cool. There are other variations that reverse that scenario where the hitchhiker meets a driver and then the hitchhiker learns the driver is actually an apparition of a person who died. Ah. So the, it's the same story, but kind of flipped. That's more Phantom Cab. Yes. The driver is the, the deceased The driver person. is the deceased. Exactly. Wow. See, that's what we were looking for the first time. And Yeah. And I didn't even realize this before, but not all of these legends involve ghosts. There's a variant in Hawaii uh, with the goddess Pele, and she's traveling the roads, and she's in disguise, and she's rewarding kind travelers. Mm-hmm. 
And then, like we said, there are a lot of these variations that include hitchhikers who tell prophecies. Yep. Catastrophes are coming, you know, something terrible, and then they disappear. Yeah. And there's another similar story that gets lumped into this group a lot where two travelers are sitting next to each other on a train, typically a man and a woman, and one of them's reading a book and the other one asks what the book's about. And the first person says that it's a book about ghosts, and then they have a conversation about ghosts and whether they believe in ghosts. Sure, second yeah. person asks, you know, the first person if they believe or have ever seen a ghost, and the first person will say that they've never seen or believed in ghosts at all. Yeah. You know, they're a skeptic, and then the second person replies that that's probably not true, and then they vanish. <laughs> <laughs> and that was a version that was used in the Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark yeah. series. Yes. Yes. And speaking of all of this, listener, if you haven't watched episode eight of Mike Flanagan's newest oh. uh, series called The Midnight Club. My God, you're right. You're totally missing out. You're right. Uh, but specifically episode eight, I will say. And it turns out that DJ McHale is a flan. He's a Flanagan. He's a Flanagan <laughs> He's fan? He's a fan of Mike Flanagan's as well. Of course he is. And that makes me super happy. It's not surprising. But he said in that AMA that he loved Hill House and Bly Manor. We're all in the same and pocket. I don't think Midnight Club had come out at the time of that Q&A. But even still, gotcha. I'd be really interested to hear his thoughts on Midnight Club because it is essentially like a little bit more of a grown-up. Yeah. Are you afraid of the dark? Sort of. It really is. Episode 8, The Long Road or what's the... I can't remember what it's called. I should have oh, written I it down. Remember. But episode 8 of that series highlights this whole trope in a very interesting way. Very distinct way. But there's no way to prove where this thing came from. There's just a lot of different versions of it. It's not the origin of this urban legend, but the earliest version, the earliest documented version is from the Bible. Yeah. Do you know the story? Uh, I want to hang on, hang on, hang on. Uh, I do. It's in the New Testament. Yep. Hang on. I know <laughs> it. I know it. Hang on. Yeah. What's his name? He doesn't have a name. Well, one of them does. There's two of there's two characters. Hang on, I know it. <laughs> it's when he comes to he says, Here's water, what hinders me from being baptized? Yeah. And they go down and they he baptizes them and then he disappears. Yeah, exactly. Um Exactly. Just tell me. Well, the apostle is Philip, but mm -hmm. the character eunuch, the Ethiopian eunuch. The Ethiopian eunuch, exactly. <laughs> You got it right. See, I almost, I almost said, I almost said he's a eunuch. I got it. Because he picks up Philip in a chariot. That's right. And then after the Ethiopian is baptized, mm -hmm. Philip just apparates. Yeah. Like he's a freaking Harry Potter character. He just disappears. Yeah. So it, you know, Jan is very clear. He's like, this is not the ancestor of this urban of legend. This, this is not where is it comes an, that's from. That's an interesting parallel. I'll, I'll bite. I'll play along. But it is cool because they have a whole exchange and then one character does completely vanish. Mm -hmm. So that is interesting. Very good point, Jan. But then there's also a bunch of stuff about how there's a bunch of Mormon examples of this in Utah yes. with the uh, the Nephites yes. and everything too. So it, it, there's just so many. And there's also versions where Jesus himself is the hitchhiker. So, you know, that's just that. See, that stuff says more about our culture sure, and about the, the region that the urban legend comes from. It says way more about those people involved. Yeah than the actual story itself, which is why it's so freaking cool. He said, you could take one urban legend and fill 10 times yeah. the amount of content in this book, which is one story about all the history and all the variations and everything. Yeah. And I think he's, I think he's right. That's what I discovered with the green ribbon. Oh yeah. Cause we just started going down the rabbit hole. It kept going. And the history walked back and back and back. Like the, the origin got further and further away. Dude, that was insane. If you, <laughs> if you appreciate a story like that, this is a total, total 
aside, <laughs> if you appreciate a story like that, listener, go and watch the documentary uh, about the song Who Let the Dogs Out. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> what? I thought about that like two it's days fascinating. ago. Oh, my God. It is fascinating. But it's the same type, type of thing where you think you find the thread where it all came from. Yeah. And then you watch that unravel over and over and over. Wow. I love stories like that because it tur- not only does it like challenge what you know and it teaches you things in the process, but it turns like certainty on its head. Right. You know what I mean? Like you you f- you learn something or you find something and you're like, well, that must be it. That must be true. And then they present you with a whole new set of facts and you're like, oh, it's just a very good exercise in changing oh, your mind. Dogs. Oh my god. Honestly. The Baja men. Yes. The Baja and now I just men. think about like Rugrats in Paris or whatever the hell that. Oh my song god! Was because Aaron of. Carter died. Oh my god! Because Aaron Carter's dead, y'all. <laughs> I hate because to Aaron laugh. Carter died. That's why I thought about the Rugrats today. Aaron Carter, rest in peace. I guess. Yeah, that it hit me hard. Aaron's party was one of my favorite albums to come out in that era of the millennium in two thousand. And me and my sister and my neighbor, we listened to it constantly so it does not feel real to me that he's not here i've never cared about aaron carter but the name is significant sure back to the vanishing hitchhiker yeah we're going through several people's accounts of these you guys just to kind of show how widespread it is but also to give that context for the type of story that could appear Mm -hmm. and i find it interesting too because dj McHale heard a variation of this story you know when he was growing up yep and he brought it to us and we've all heard different versions of this throughout our lives too Mm mm-hmm in 1942, folklorist named Richard Beardsley and Rosalie Henke collected as many accounts as they could of the Vanishing Hitchhiker story. There were 79 written accounts from across the United States that they used, mm-hmm. and they attempted to analyze them. And they came up with their own method of categorizing this uh, Vanishing Hitchhiker type yeah. story. Yeah. They had four versions of this. Version A are stories where the hitchhiker gives an address through which the motorist learns that he's given a lift to a ghost. So like we were talking about where they lead you back to their family. Right, right. 49 of those 79 examples fell into that category. Hmm. And there were examples from 16 states of the United States. Hmm. The B category is stories where the hitchhiker is an old woman who prophesies disaster or talks about the end of the war, like you were saying, right. uh, World War II at the time, with subsequent inquiries that also reveal her to be deceased. So you don't know that she's dead until later again. Yeah. There were nine examples of that that fit that description and eight of those nine came from the chicago area wow so that seemed to be a very localized version so these folklorists felt that that indicated that that was a local localized story um which i mean eight of nine i feel like that's a pretty pretty good pretty good odds there yeah and they dated that story to approximately 1933 because two of those version b stories talked about disaster at the world's fair Right. Of course, these prophecies weren't necessarily accurate. Right. But that didn't seem to thwart, you know, new versions of this or new iterations of this version B type of tale. I could see those stories being told today as like propaganda. Right. To like sway particular audiences. Apparently, there was one prophecy in one of these stories that foretold that Northerly Island in Lake Michigan was going to be submerged. And that hasn't happened yet. Right. (laughs) One version I read was that, yeah, the World's Fair would slip into the lake. Mm Mm-hmm. Is that it? Same thing? I think it's the same thing, yeah. I mean, I don't know that exact one, but yeah, they were telling of danger at the World's Fair. That's the same thing as saying like, 
Yeah, California is going to break off into yeah. the whole Pacific. <laughs> or Florida, yeah. You know, Florida is going to be submerged one day. I mean, who knows? Yeah. With all the melting ice climate, caps. I was going to say, if climate change keeps it up. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> then there was a version C where the stories talked about a girl who was met at a place of entertainment, a dance, a nightclub, like not met on the road. Right. And then she leaves some kind of something with the driver, overcoat something mm-hmm. um on her grave right which merges her identity this is who this was that you met right basically the fact that there was a lot of uniformity among those versions of the story made these folklorists feel it wasn't an authentic folktale it wasn't folklore they thought it was a story that mm-hmm. was an, ex- an exact story that was just told right down the line kind of thing right. more like a fictional story probably And then there were other stories, version D, they called it, where the hitchhiker is identified as a deity or divinity, some some something higher, some higher power, something spiritual. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they, through this study, concluded that the version A was probably the closest to the original form of the story, but versions B and D, they thought, were localized variations of that version A. Yeah. And they think C, where the girl is at some place, the Resurrection Mary type of tale. Yeah. They think that started life as a separate ghost story, which kind of merged with the Hitchhiker story, which is what we kind of see with the tale of the prom queen. Mm-hmm. We kind of see that Resurrection Mary and Vanishing Hitchhiker story merge. But in the story, we see a woman is hit on the side of the road. Yep. In our specific prom night or prom queen version, she's actually not a hitchhiker. Right. She's and just... Resurrection Mary is not a hitchhiker either. Right. I should say. Right. That she's just leaving without her boyfriend. The girl on the roadside meets a vehicle passing. But something interesting that these these folklorists figured out or found through all their analysis is that the hitchhiker is, in the majority of these cases, female, and the motorist, the lift giver, the driver is male. Yep. Yep. The sample stories that they found contained 47 young female apparitions, 14 old lady apparitions, and 14 more that weren't determined yeah. whether it was a woman or not. Right. But I feel like it's, again, like you said before, has this strangely feminine connotation to it. Mm-hmm. It's usually a woman in, in some kind of distress. The element or the, the motif of her being in some kind of evening dress mm-hmm. is very common. Yes. She's dressed up for a prom. She's dressed up for like going out to the club mm-hmm. or to a party of some sort. She's typically in a dress and high-heeled shoes. Yep. Really, anything that makes her vulnerable. It's true when you think about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we the idea that it's happening on a prom night, like I said, it's the misogyny of the thing where this woman shouldn't be out by herself. You know, what are you doing out here all alone kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I feel like there are just a lot of implications around the idea that it's a woman, the idea that it's a prom night, the idea that she's out, maybe some type of moral implication, like you're out at a nightclub and this is what's going to happen to you if you're out late at night. Maybe, yeah. Like cautionary tale sort of idea. Man, so there are so many different versions of this, and there's one that's local here in Alabama. I cannot wait to hear about it. (laughs) It's set in a small town called Lynn, Alabama. You know where Lynn is? I don't. I don't really either. (laughs) A young couple were on their way home from prom one night when they got into a fight while driving. She insisted he stop and let her out to walk home, which is something you should never do, people. Yeah, not real safe. But he did as he was told, and he let her out and drove off. While walking home down Highway 5, 
through Lynn, Alabama, she was hit and run Mm. by an 18-wheeler left for dead. So today, as the story goes, if an 18-wheeler passes through Lynn on Highway 5, the ghost of the girl will crawl up the side of the truck Mm. to look into the window to see if that's the driver who hit her. Holy shit. This stretch of highway is considered to be one of the most haunted spots in Alabama. And uh, let me tell you, there are some haunted spots in Alabama. Yeah. But see, that's funny because that is on the way home Mm -hmm. from prom. Not It's on the way home from prom, but it has a similar Resurrection Mary argument with a boyfriend. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And obviously hit on the side of the road. Is this the same prom night? The Absent Boyfriend, and The Hit and Run. So as we ease back into our Prom Queen episode, you know, after talking about these legends that kind of form the melting pot that created this episode, created the legend that DJ heard that created this episode, Mm -hmm. it's all just down the grapevine. There you go. Do you have any research or thoughts on why so many of these legends occur around prom night? That was my next question was, why prom night? (laughs) So prom night makes it different from just any old average, you know, Friday night, Saturday night. It's not just a date that went wrong. Right. I think at its most basic foundation, it's because high school kids put so much emphasis on prom night. Mm -hmm. Or typically, as we've seen in pop culture and media and all kinds of stuff, I never had a prom. Yeah, I didn't technically either. We had a junior-senior banquet. Same. So we didn't get to have prom because dancing gets you pregnant. Yes. Dancing is Dancing bad. is evil in the Christian schools. But most other people had prom, and that's great. But a lot of people, at least in media, put a lot of emphasis on prom night. It's a milestone. It's a, it's a rite of passage. It's a memorable night that you're always going to have as part of your history as a human being. And it makes or breaks your exp- your high school experience sometimes, you know, who you take to prom, who asked you to prom. Yeah, these are things that you talk about well into your adulthood and yeah, your life. like your prom dress, what you look like. It's typically very, you know, female focused. The guys, you know, whatever they go, whatever. Well, they ask a different question. They're usually talking about whether or not they got laid. They're going to get laid, right, right. That's usually the main focus. But there's a lot of emphasis. Yeah, exactly. That itself may be this uh, coming-of-age situation where yeah. you lose your virginity on prom night. You're, you're walking into this evening knowing that you're going to come out different somehow. Yeah. You're going to have this experience that's that's legendary as you're an underclassman seeing yeah. upperclassmen get to do this thing. Mm-hmm. And then you eventually get to do it yourself. So it's a huge deal culturally in a lot of mm-hmm. places. In a lot of places. And it is that passageway. Especially for people who peak in high school. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but I think all of this is why the prom night situation is so much more significant than just any average, you know, weekend night. You know, you're either on your way to the prom or you're on your way home from the prom and the, the night is ruined with this argument with your boyfriend and then you're left stranded or abandoned or, you know, in our case tonight with the prom queen episode, mm-hmm. the boyfriend just never shows up. You're left right. alone because he never got the message. Or in the to case of Susie up. Q, you're both in a car accident. Or you're both in a car accident. Something tragic happens that prevents you from fulfilling this milestone of, right. you know, whatever proportion that this local place gives it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This young life is snuffed out before it's able to reach that apex of prom. Exactly. Or, you know, before it's able to live it through. Right. It's this tragedy. It's unrealized 
potential. Of youth. But not even just potential, but unrealized. Achievement. Achievement. It's, you're missing the milestone. Yeah. You don't, you don't make it to adulthood. You don't quite make it. But then not only are you affected because you died, but then your parents, the parents of the guy you're with, every kid that you went to school with that's at prom. Uh, right, because it's very far-reaching. Their prom is tainted by your death. Yeah, it's like tragedy. that's what we've been saying. This came from a, like from DJ hearing it about a school near his school. Yeah, yeah. Whether it happened or not, this legend, the idea. It leaves its even mark. Even if it was decades prior, it left mm-hmm. a like scar on a community. Mm-hmm. And I think for kids, high school kids in particular, this is a very scary urban legend because it makes you, if you hear about this, you think about this when you're on your way to prom. Mm-hmm. You think. That's the type of person oh, I, I am. Hope, I hope nothing goes wrong because, you know, man, I did you know, think man, that way and I didn't have a me. prom, but I thought that way all the time because it was yeah. always like, this is the, this is prime time for tragedy to strike. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which says a lot about me as a depressed individual, but I think I think <laughs> yeah. that a lot when I'm something good's happening or I'm on the way to do something fun or happy, exciting. You wonder what's the worst thing that could happen. I always expect the other shoe to drop. Well, so like th- there's so many layers to this now that we're going to get into that like we're going to unfortunately have to gloss over because we aren't writing a, a you know massive book on this urban <laughs> legend. But like you think like what's the worst that could happen? Well, I might get pregnant. Yeah. You know, but no, actually the worst thing that could happen is you might die in a car wreck mm-hmm. on your way. And that's where I always go. Don't worry. <laughs> Don't you worry. I I have intrusive thoughts. (laughs) But this urban legend wouldn't have come from the 80s or 90s. This would have come from car culture in the 50s. Yes. This is is all stemming from a time Mm -hmm. when cars were newer. Right. It was a much more new experience to drive with your high school Mm -hmm. sweetheart to prom. So not only is it spread by the kids... But it's also spread by the adults. Cautionary tale of kids going off into adulthood, taking that leap mm-hmm. and going off with their Because keys. car culture is rebel culture from the yeah. 50s. Look at Greece. You mentioned Greece earlier. Mm-hmm. Car culture holds a distinct disregard for this idealized lifestyle that the nuclear family demanded back in the 1950s. Mm-hmm. Because you have wheels. You have a, a, a gateway. It's the first time that your kids can go hop in a car and leave. Mm -hmm. It's terrifying for everyone involved. Yeah. This level of- Distance, independence. The distance. You know, they're no longer safe in your home. Do you know where your children are? Do you know where your children are? Right. (laughs) It's all these fears and anxieties compounded and compiled into one specific thought of, what if my kid is in the wrong car at the wrong time? Mm -hmm. And then the kids share that same sentiment of, what if I'm on my way to prom? But I don't make it. I die in a car wreck. It's literally just how, (laughs) that's how I think all the time. All this stuff converges and makes an urban legend possible. Yeah. And that's what fuels the fire of an urban legend. It's very true. And that's why so much folklore has to do with vehicles. It's a revolution. It's a different way of existing. Yeah. It changed everything. Like we talk about with our generation and the internet. Mm Mm-hmm. Especially with like the dead boyfriend, which has to do with, mm-hmm. you know, being parked on the side of the road and the boyfriend leaving, which we'll talk about in a second if we want to. And how the girl's left alone and vulnerable in her evening dress and her high heels and she can't walk. And there's also the, the hook handed man mm-hmm. with the car parked, you know, they find the hook attached to the car handle when they get Ugh. back to the house. And like all this stuff has to do with two young lovers in being alone in a car vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And more often than not, it results in either the girl dying or the the boy dying. Mm -hmm. 
Or both. Sometimes both. So, but yeah, but not only is prom night going to be this emotional, memorable experience, but now it's compounded with this gruesome tragedy that Mm -hmm. nobody will ever be able to forget. Yep. But that's where we are. Yeah. And now back to the episode. (laughs) (laughs) There There was a lot to say this time last night. So Dee Dee's just heard all this really fun stuff from Jam, from Jammy, <laughs> um, and Greg, who clearly has a thing for her. Oh, yeah. I mean, instantly obvious to the point where, like, not only does Jam call him out, but as they, like, walk away, he totally checks her out. Oh, yeah. Visibly. Not subtle. I mean, at all. <laughs> uh, Jam says when he's inviting Dee Dee, so he invites Dee Dee to um, come with them because they're going to try and figure out this legend. You know, they're going to yeah, try to find, find the gravestone, the, the gravestone and, find the ghost, etc. And they invite yeah. Dee Dee to come along and she she agrees. But uh, when they're trying to convince her, Jim says, Greg thinks you're a babe. Oh, what's wrong with you? <laughs> Which made me laugh. They are older. Yeah. They're, you know, 16, 17, 17 years old. Mm-hmm. They're not quite as young as infantile. a lot of yeah. Kids of, on Are You Afraid of the Dark? They have different mm-hmm. interests. They have different concerns. And a lot of this is very steeped in the romance, like you were saying. Mm-hmm. Well, they don't have much luck finding the gravestone of the dead girl, but Greg does have a pretty good idea. He says they should go to the library and check out old newspapers for either obituaries or news stories. Mm-hmm. And while scanning all the microfiche, they find an article from 1956. Mm-hmm. Very important date for the rest of the details of our episode. Yes. But here we learn also from Also the librarian, by the way, in oh, the, the episode. Is, she's so... They made her just stand there and smile for like <laughs> several seconds, way I longer know. than she needed to. It was really weird. It was a little bit spooky. Like, What's that noise? And it's just her offering tea, yeah. which would never happen. No. I and mean, she's at work. Yeah. That would Not never happen. They made her very like motherly yeah but while we're here she was played by irene kessler Mm. um so yeah they're at the library and we learn that the girl from the legend her name is judy larson Mm -hmm. judy on prom night was waiting for her boyfriend ricky mitchell but ricky never got the message that he was supposed to meet her at the cemetery Mm -hmm. for who who knows (laughs) what reason it's never explained When Ricky heard what happened to Judy getting hit and run by a drunk driver and killed on prom night, he drove his 1955 Chevy off the Mianus River Bridge, Mm -hmm. and they never found him or the car. So not only does Judy die, Mm -hmm. but then Ricky commits suicide. When he hears of her death. When he hears about her death. And especially knowing that he could have prevented it if he had known where to pick her up. If he'd gotten the message, right. If things had gone the way they should have. Right. So some really uh, interesting details about this newspaper article. If you look at the headline, this newspaper is from Saturday, May 8th, 1956. Mm -hmm. And the article title is Girl Killed by Hit and Run on Prom Night. And there's a picture of the Mianus River Bridge. Mm -hmm. The article says she was killed on May 7th, which would have been a Friday. Mm -hmm. Earlier, Jam says, Forget Halloween, my dear. Saturday night's prom night, the night of the prom queen. Oh, so she was killed on Friday. She was killed on a Friday. But that doesn't mean anything necessarily. It could still be the anniversary of the date. Could be. So I kind of had that thought too because they talk about she comes back every prom night. Well, every prom. It's not like a Halloween. It's not like a holiday that has a specific date every year. Right. 
So you just assume it's the local high school's prom night, but conceivably that date can change too. Is it prom night or is it the anniversary? I have to believe it's the anniversary of her death and they call that night prom night, even if it isn't prom. It's her prom night. Like they gave it a moniker like it's a holiday. Exactly. That's what I think. I think it's the date. Mm. And then they use that prom night phrase because it was her prom night. I see. It was Judy's prom night. It's not our prom night, but it's Judy's prom night. It's not our prom night. It's not even necessarily the local high school's prom night, which is what I kind of thought at first. I think it's just this is forever in infamy. The night she was killed, it was Judy's prom night. This is known as prom. So Saturday would be- The anniversary. May 7th. That's what I think. I didn't look at the actual real life calendar to see if this if these dates lined up. <laughs> well, let's I see. didn't either. Let's, okay, let's do this right now. What are we trying to Let's go see? look at 1992. 1956. Scrolling all the way back. Whoop, back in the 80s, wow. I mean- 1992, May 7th was a Saturday. Okay, but it was in the 50s. So he says Saturday night's prom night. That's May 7th. So that's accurate. Right. But if we go back to 1956. Monday. May 7th was a Monday. May 7th, 1956 was a Monday. <laughs> oh, so DJ but only DJ wanted it about... to be a Saturday yeah. in the story. Yeah. That's wild. Whoops. <laughs> so another discrepancy with the uh, continuity. The local legend is that Judy's body wasn't found until the next morning. Mm-hmm. So if she's killed on the 7th, she wasn't found until the 8th. Mm-hmm. The article says that Ricky killed himself after he found out what happened to Judy. So it would have either been that same day. I mean. But the newspaper, those articles are written the, the whole day before. Hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, They're not reporting not enough, on same day news. There's not quite news. enough time probably to make that happen. Yeah. So the absolute earliest that they could have reported on Ricky's death would have been Sunday the night. Unless he found out somehow the night before. I don't know. Yeah. It could be that they found out the night of on the Friday. Like he found out before the or the, the press did, you know, or whatever. One day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's hard. To, it's so hard to say. I just thought it was funny. I was like, there's all these specific details put into the legend and then the newspaper article, mm-hmm. but the details weren't quite, adding yeah, up. Jive. But again, this is something that would have aired back in the 90s. And you would have seen it for like a split second and boom, it would have been gone. It's a lot like, yeah, and it would have never, you wouldn't have seen it again. You never you would have known the difference. And yeah. yeah. So they just didn't really care all that much. Right. They wouldn't know that we'd sit here 30 years later on the podcast and pick, pick <laughs> Picking apart, it apart yeah. the, uh, the art department's Sorry, choices. Sorry, DJ. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. But speaking of the authenticity... They named the Mianus River Bridge. Oh, yes. And I think you've looked into this too. I did. Because it's a very specific thing for them to say. It is very specific. Typically on a show like this, especially a sitcom or something that's um, kind of meant to be every town USA kind of thing, Mm -hmm. you don't mention specific place names. They could have just said the river. they did in this case. Like there's a bridge and he crashed into the river below. So the Mianus River Bridge is in Connecticut. Yes. And it's actually just a few miles away from where DJ McHale grew up mm-hmm. in Greenwich, Connecticut. Yeah. <laughs> so this is this absolutely feels like something that he would have just known of and inserted. Yeah. However, it would have been in their minds, mm-hmm. most all of them, because 10 years prior, 
uh, well, nine years prior, in 1983, there was a disaster with the Mayanus River Bridge. Listener, you may know of it because it was very widespread and is still widespread in like news cycles. Right. Because the bridge collapsed. Yes. And three people died. Three dead, three seriously injured. So I can see how he would want those haunting vibes Mm -hmm. to linger in a story like this. Yeah. Kind of cool that he got to pull from his hometown, but hate that it was so tragic. Right, right. But you know, another fun detail, the construction of the Mayanus River Bridge in real life began in 1956. Ooh. <laughs> mm-hmm. Maybe they did that. That sounds like a DJ move to do on purpose. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Not the last time that date is important. No. So as they go, as they're learning more about what happened that night, Dee Dee is getting more and more enthusiastic. She's very interested in these details. She becomes very intense. And even when Greg himself is trying to get her to admit, like, you're not really into all this stuff. Like, you don't really buy all this. This is just Mm -hmm. a goof. They keep saying goof. They do. They keep calling it a goof. Instead of saying like a prank or a a gag or a joke, they say goof over and over. It must have been young Canadian slang. And also they use the word excellent multiple times. Excellent was 90s. Clearly, I said it in the 90s in my journal. (laughs) (laughs) I thought about that earlier when you said it. I was like, they say excellent like four times in this episode. But every time Greg tries to get her to like back off, she flips it back on him and tries to convince him to keep continuing the investigation. Mm -hmm. You know, he wants to impress her by acting like, I'm not into all this childish ghost story stuff. And she uses, you know, his crush on her against him, Mm -hmm. sort of. She's using him. And I have to say, if I had a nickel for every time, a girl used me to perform a seance to, <laughs> to resurrect the ghost of her dead boyfriend. Would you have a nickel? <laughs> I'd be able to like jingle jangle my pocket, you know? Wow. Yeah, you'd be able to hear the coins. Mm-hmm. So anyway, they decide to go out on the river under the bridge in a little dinghy boat where Ricky's car would have gone under, mm-hmm. where Ricky would have died. So they anchor it and they're chilling and Dee Dee leads them through... <laughs> A really, like, well-rehearsed uh, seance-type mm-hmm. thing. Ricky's behind the wheel, and he's very upset because of Judy. Hey, you're pretty good at this. Concentrate. She tells them to basically put themselves in his position. Imagine how upset he was mm-hmm. at the, the night of the crash or the day of the crash, whenever this crash occurred. Yeah, she and leads them through this, like, thought exercise, basically, <laughs> in the boat. Yeah. So as she's guiding us through this meditation, calling out to Ricky to make contact with him, these bubbles Mm -hmm. begin rising to the surface of the water. What was that? What was that? And when me and Lauren were watching this, as soon as they go out on the boat over the water, we were both like, hell no. Like, there's no way in hell you're getting me out on the water where some kid drowned. Absolutely not. 40 years ago. Nope. Like, no way in hell. That's like parking on the bridge, like parking on Crybaby Bridge. Oh, yeah. And like turning off the engine yep. and waiting to like hear the cry. Yep. And no, thanks. Like I'm hear good. the like handprints smacking against the windows Ugh. and shit like that. Like I did that. I went to Coden. Remember that story yeah, that we I talked do. about? Mm-hmm. I tried to find the intersection where that story takes place where the girl's supposed to like climb on your car or whatever. Mm. It was storming that one night. I tried to get you to go, but it was COVID yeah. and you were like, I was, I'm yeah, not gonna I was be, too scared of COVID. I'm not going to be. Um, I was like, we can't roll down the windows because it's raining. <laughs> I parked. I turned off the engine. As I drove off, I heard a knock against the hood of my car. <laughs> I swear to God. I'm I believe not even you. kidding. 
I absolutely believe you. But it scared me enough to go like, this is why I don't do these things. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so they go out on this boat. I mean, really tempting fate here. And the bubbles rise to the surface. And they just, you know, they pull the anchor and they get the hell out of there because they're scared quick, to death. Quick tidbit, listener. It's difficult to film on water. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a very tricky thing to do. We've had sure. to do it in a couple of cases. And it's um, very tough. Yeah. Oftentimes, like I thought multiple times, I was like, is this green screen? Like, where are we? What are we doing? They were under a bridge for real. They were actually on the water. I'm 90% certain. No, for sure. And that... Not only is it hard to do, it costs a lot of money. Yeah. And there's a lot of insurance and yeah. liability when it comes to like getting actors out on the water. So anytime you see that happen in film or, you know, TV, mm-hmm. they put a lot of effort into it. That was a big deal. But I will say that they those really intense close-ups started to make me doubt it. I was like, what are you trying well, to get away from? Their you know? their master was shot beneath the bridge. Yeah. Because that was a real got, bridge. They got the rest of the coverage elsewhere. They got probably. coverage in a safe place. Yeah. Still water, still dangerous, still yeah. very expensive. You're right. But yeah. They get the fright. They get the goof. Mm. They're afraid. They get the fright. <laughs> the fear of God. And Greg is still convinced that ghosts aren't real, man. I don't know how. But also he has this weird persistent cough now he can't shake. Mm. Did you notice that? No, like not really. he's supposed to be like out of breath. He rode the whole way back, right? Mm-hmm. But he's like coughing. Huh? I didn't notice. He should just be trying to catch his breath. He was coughing as if he almost drowned. Yeah, I, that was weird. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. Now that you say it, I'm I'm seeing it. Yeah. Maybe that was the whole point, and I just missed. I don't it. know. Did Ricky's ghost give him the cough? Like, yeah, maybe Ricky's ghost tried to drown him. Yeah, but or either he was just acting, and when you get away from the water, his instinct was to like <gasps> gasp. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but they survived the Mayanis River and the seance. And now there's only one thing left to do, and that's to go to the cemetery tomorrow night mm-hmm. on prom night to see if their seance worked. Because the whole point there is for her to tell Ricky. That he was supposed to meet Judy mm-hmm. at the cemetery because mm-hmm. he never got the message, right? Essentially, I think her goal is to bring peace to Ricky's ghost, right? To say, hey, this is what happened. Now you can live in peace. This is your unfinished business or whatever. Mm-hmm. We have to return to the Midnight Society. They're all impressed by how brave these kids are to go out on the boat. But I'm with Frank. Stupid. They're stupid. But brave. But brave. Yeah, I wouldn't do it. No, I wouldn't have done it. Also, that was just a flower balanced on Kristen's wrist, not a corsage. (laughs) (laughs) She just tipped her wrist and it fell off. But Kristen lets us know, (laughs) Dee Dee, Jam, and Greg, they went to the cemetery the next day and they checked out the records and they located the gravestone of Judy Larson. Mm -hmm. Finally. So we see it. 1939. To 1956. To 17. And it looks like it was written in black Sharpie. Yeah, it does. (laughs) Did you notice that? Yeah. So Greg's been complaining this whole time. He doesn't believe in ghosts. This is stupid. I don't want to do this. And he keeps complaining that it's cold. And he wants to know when the girl's supposed to show up. At midnight. Midnight. It's always midnight. always midnight. Which I did appreciate that. Mm -hmm. And then we have this... This uh, fake-out gag with wind chimes and a person walking through the cemetery in a white robe and this ghostly green light. Greg finds out quickly that it's just Jam's cousin, 
Chuck. <laughs> Chuck. Who was dressed up to scare them. It was just a goof. It was one last goof, one last fake Jam's out. Jam's about this. Jam really enjoys yeah. ruffling feathers, clearly. Well, yes, like you said, everything Jam says is this ominous, spooky ghost story. Mm-hmm. And so he has to pull the prank. A goof. But this uh, cousin, Chuck, he was played by a guy named Amias Godfrey. And he did 13 episodes of You Can't Do That on television. Wow. Yeah. That's so cool. I thought so. Wow. Greg's about to beat the shit out of Jam. Yeah. And Dee Dee stops him because there's a vehicle approaching. Mm -hmm. Through all of this fog. All this fog. So if you've ever been to like a larger cemetery, like a big cemetery where you can't see the town around you, you're like Mm -hmm. in this cemetery, there's like the the roadway in the cemetery that's sort of... um, um, it's where it's where the, like the mm. vehicles will go. Like yeah. if you're going, if you're part of a funeral party, you know you have these roadways. You can, you drive, can drive through the through. cemetery, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like a roadway yeah. like that, and there's all this fog spilling, like just pouring into the cemetery. over this road. So much fog. Yeah, it's nice. And the headlights, you know, just like we we talk about a lot. You see those mm-hmm. headlights pop up through the fog. DJ loves his like. I mean, going back to uh, Twisted Claw mm-hmm. with whole the the slow rolling like mm-hmm. Cadillac looking vehicle mm-hmm. pulling up. Yep, there's something about a slow moving vehicle mm. in the headlights. So good. Just ask Taylor Swift. <laughs> I could think of a few questions, <laughs> but um, yeah. So this is our setting. We have this car pulling up, and they're all like, "Oh my god, what the hell is this?" And I mean, that's scary. It, putting myself in their shoes at this point, you know, they've gone through two days of this trying to figure out this legend. Yeah. And then it's midnight. They're, it's midnight they're the, on prom you know, night. This is supposed to happen now. Mm-hmm. They're alone in the cemetery, mm-hmm. teenage kids, and they turn around and there's a car approaching. I'm scared, no matter if it's a person or a ghost. <laughs> I'm afraid of it. <laughs> yeah, they think it's a, the caretaker, right? So they're mm-hmm. like, well, Jam says, let's jam. And oh my God. Why, DJ? Why? Is that why that's Jam's nickname? It's got to be. Because he says really cool things like, let's, let's jam. jam. To confirm, you said the actor's names. Is he Graham? He's Graham. Graham and Jam? Not Graham. 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 I was just wondering. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's that's Graham. They wanted a, a rhyming name, maybe? No, it is not. It's not Graham. <laughs> it's not Graham and Jam. No. It'd be Jam. Jam. <laughs> Graham and Jam. Oh, my God. <laughs> The car pulling up, as we see, is a 1955 Chevy. And over the radio of this car, we hear the song, In the Still of the Night, by the Five Satins. And this song was released originally in 1956. Mm-hmm. We both have research on this. I have to believe that this song was intentionally chosen, because the lyrics do mention that night in May. Mm-hmm. And the night Judy died was... May 7th. Mm -hmm. And most prom nights are typically in May toward the end of the school year. Mm -hmm. So I think it just worked out very serendipitously for our friend DJ. This song was actually recorded in the basement of St. Bernadette's Catholic School in Mm -hmm. New Haven, Connecticut. Connecticut. Mm -hmm. See, all this stuff is on purpose. I think so. I have always loved that. I've talked about it before at length, probably, but that doo-wop, like, 50s sound. I love it. I have always loved it so, so, so much. Mm -hmm. And this song is another one that only kind of reached the height of its popularity in the decades after it was released. It was covered by Paul Anka. Anka. It was covered by Boys to Men. Mm -hmm. Uh, Debbie Gibson did a version of it that was on the soundtrack for The Wonder Years. Wow. TV show. Wow. Um, It's been part of a lot of other soundtracks like Dirty Dancing. And 
I didn't even know this, but when I looked it up, I was like, oh, okay, that I think I, I remember it vaguely. It was part of Walt Disney World's Enchanted Tiki Room when it was under new management. They did like an overlay for a few no years. No way, really? Yeah. That's wild. <laughs> but this song is missing from the DVD version of the episode. No, it's not. Mm-hmm. I watched the DVD. Really? Yeah. That's why I know about it. Then maybe, it, okay, so when I read about it, maybe the DVD, like the original DVDs, they didn't have the copyright for it. Maybe they put it back because it is on Paramount. I know that much. No, yeah. the I have, yeah, seasons one through five on DVD and that's what I'm watching Wow. when we do this research. But when, do you remember or do you know when your DVDs were made? Like, uh, I mean, I could go look right now. But well, I mean, no, I, I, I didn't look at the date the DVDs were made, <laughs> Kaylin. Everything that I saw online said that they had to lose the song in the DVD. What song replaced movies. it? I don't know. They didn't say. Well, then I don't believe them. Okay. Well, then cut all of that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's part. If it's out there, then it's part of the lore of this episode. I, I would be bummed if it wasn't in there. That's for sure. It makes too much sense. Mm-hmm. It makes the episode the fifty-six. It gives that date or purpose, yeah. including the bridge. It's true, because it was popular. You know, it would have been playing in mm-hmm. popular music. The night that they died. Well, that's the thing. My, so my, my takeaway is how there's just something so creepy and melancholy about these certain old songs, especially like doo-wop type songs mm-hmm. being attributed to hauntings. Absolutely. Because like within the logic of how the song would have become attached to the haunting itself. Maybe that's what was playing when he went he over died. the bridge or when she got hit. I think it's when he died. Mm-hmm. Because he would have been playing it upset about losing her, right. listening to it. So I think Ricky being upset over the death of his his sweetheart, he's flooring it down the highway as mm-hmm. fast as he can go. It's 1956. He's turning up the radio, he's blaring in the still of the night, and he just careens off the side of this bridge and crashes into the water. I can see that, yeah. All to the soundtrack of in the still of the night. Yikes. I've often thought about that. Do you ever think about how? Oh, yes. If you get in a really absolutely. bad car wreck. I think about it all the time. Way too much. Sorry. What's on the radio? Warning, but yeah. You're going to be listening to that mm-hmm. as you die. I have a friend uh, that had a car accident, Sweet Escape by Gwen Stefani, was mm-hmm. playing on the radio. Wow. And she can't, like, I remember driving, having that song <sighs> playing in high school, and she reached up and turned off my radio. God, that's wild. Mm-hmm. It always seems to be those kinds of songs that hold this like extraneous meaning. It's just, it's an imprint. It's like a moment in time. Right. Yeah. And this is one of those songs. It's a snapshot of time. Mm-hmm. And I can see that for sure. Man. Speaking of, okay. Whew. I think another huge reason why this entire trope, this idea of a prom night ghost or young lovers tragically, you know, their story cut short, something like that mm-hmm. would be familiar to you, listener, just to our culture in general. Yeah. Is because of another song. The song Last Kiss. And I don't mean Taylor Swift's soul crushing ballad, <laughs> Last Kiss. <laughs> Although that's uh, also a great song. Yeah. The song Last Kiss was originally released by an artist named Wayne Cochran in 1961. It was a local hit in Georgia. And that prompted huh. a group from Texas, J. Frank Wilson and the Cavaliers, yeah. to record it very soon after that. I believe in 1964. A couple things say different things. I'm not sure. Hmm. But I think in 1964 is when they recorded their version. I see. This version of the song went to number one on the Billboard Top 100, which makes me feel like we're all just very macabre. <laughs> Honestly. Uh, and it's been covered over the years by other artists like Pearl Jam. 
but it was originally written by this guy, Wayne Cochran, in 1961. Hmm. If you're unfamiliar, either we've played a clip of it for you by now, or it's, you know, oh, where, oh, where can my baby be? The Lord took her away from me. What's the version I would know um, from the 90s? The J. Frank and the Cavaliers, probably. I mean, Pearl Jam, maybe, because that one I think it would be too. Pearl Jam, because I, I know the one that would I know be on the, the radio. The, the 60s sounding one is the one I don't that know, I know the 60s. I know the, really? like, the only version I know is the one from like the 90s. Oh, man. So you would have known the later one. That's crazy. Is that Pearl Jam? That would have to be. That was the more popular. Like, I'll th- look That would up. have been the more popular one in the 90s. But surely you, listener, have heard of this song in some way. And this episode, I could never separate this episode from that song in my head. Mm. Ever. It's a haunting song. It's a, it's a horribly haunting song. It has Ugh. made me, it's part of where my anxiety comes from. It's gut-wrenching. The song was written uh, by, like I said, Wayne Cochran. He lived on Route 1941 in Georgia, mm-hmm. which was about 15 miles away from this very tragic community event, car crash, mm. uh, that they say the song was based on. In this crash, uh, two teenagers, they were 16, Jeanette Clark and J.L. Hancock, uh, were killed when their car hit a stopped tractor trailer on a road in rural Barnesville, Georgia. Man. So they, you know, it was foggy, whatever, and they hit the tractor trailer. I think even two other teenagers that were with them also died. Like it was a just rocked the whole community kind of thing. Yeah, sure. This was a busy road and Cochran saw a lot of accidents happen on it. Mm-hmm. He was working on this song before, he was like halfway done with this song before this crash happened. Really? It's super confusing, the timeline, but from what I could surmise, the accident that people say the song is based on actually happened while he was in the midst of writing this song, Mm. which is so creepy to me. There was this intense emotional response from the community like we were talking about earlier, Mm. and he used that as inspiration to finish the song, and he dedicated it to Jeanette Clark, the the girl that died in the crash. Wow. And I... Like I said, I can't, it's all a fuzzy timeline. Maybe it's re-remembered to be more poignant than it was. I don't know exactly. Mm-hmm. But obviously it's a haunting song and it stood the test of time and it worsened my anxiety. <laughs> yeah. And looking back, you know, we talked about why we think In the Still of the Night was a good choice and I still think it was for the episode. But I wonder if they thought it would have been too on the nose to use this song mm-hmm. in the episode. I don't know. I've always wanted to look into that song and never have because I was like, it's so haunting and sad. It has to have it really a is. real story behind it. And it seems like it does, <laughs> question mark. Like That's wild. And this was all before the time of seatbelts. Mm. So wear your seatbelts. Yeah, please, listen. People. Wear your seatbelt. They save lives. I'm going to have so much anxiety. Sorry, listener, to anyone whose anxiety we have worsened by discussing this episode. <laughs> No, I think this is probably more cathartic than triggering in a way. But man. So yes, we see the car approach in the cemetery. We do. From the car, we hear in the still of the night playing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Even on the DVD that I have. Even on the DVD, apparently. And once the car is stopped and waiting, Dee Dee has this really strange moment where she walks up. We don't see her face anymore. And she lets down her hair. Mm -hmm. And she starts swaying Mm -hmm. and singing along to the song. Awkward. I liked it personally. I don't know. But she has this Cinderella-esque transformation. Yeah. Where she goes from her increasingly more and more 50s attire Mm -hmm. throughout the episode to this 50s prom dress. Mm -hmm. 
where she's all made up and she looks exactly like she would have looked on the night that she was killed by the hit and run driver. She's Judy. She's Judy. And the boys are just confused as hell. And she tells them. And then you solve the mystery of why Ricky never picked me up and got him to come. And so then we see old slick Rick himself mm-hmm. waiting patiently behind the wheel of his sweet ride. And Ricky is played by none other than Matthew McKay. That's right. Who is our Mr. Burkham. Mr. Dean Burkham mm-hmm. from the Sorcerer's, Sorcerer's Apprentice, Apprentice that we've covered. And when we were in that episode, I said to you, I was like, do you know what else he does in Are You, you Afraid of the Dark? Queen, and you said, yeah. yeah, you said, you were like, who do you play in Prom Queen? I was like, you'll find out. <laughs> yep, yep. He's the driver. And honestly, he plays the part well. He, he has does. that old classic look to mm-hmm. him. He he gives a real slow, steady thumbs up. Yeah, a real the, super boys. cool <laughs> thumbs up. Like, hey. Ghostly. <laughs> So they ride off into the still of the night. They pass right through those cemetery gates. Look at those effects, man. Like the ghosts they are. It felt very like uh, Casper. Yeah, like it did 90s feel like Casper. Casper. Mm-hmm. Again, just something about that slow roll, the fog, and the rumble of that engine as it pulls and away. And the doo-wop sounds. The doo-wop sounds. It just makes me feel things, you know? Me too. It gives me the feels. It always has. The music, the lighting. Mm. That whole moment in time. But yeah, that's the episode. That's the episode. Well, we we back out to the Midnight Society again where Kristen finishes her tale. Mm-hmm. And uh, we get no commentary at all. <laughs> that's basically it. Gary just uh, says, you know, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. G- Gary gives us the, <laughs> the only other time he said, you know, until next time. Mm-hmm. Pleasant dreams, everyone. That's right. This is his second time in the first season to say that. And that's it. That's the end of the episode. But I do notice that I think David... Wasn't it David that rushed over to Kristen immediately? I think so. <laughs> to talk yeah. about the uh, her, her story. <laughs> Poor David. It's a great Sweet episode. David. It's that classic fake out. She was dead the whole time. You mean she was dead the whole time? And looking back at it, you know, watching it a few times for this episode, I feel like, you know, they they did some things on purpose to hint and foreshadow toward her being a ghost. Obviously, right? They had her refusing food. She was fascinated by the microfilm machine at the library. Yeah, she says, I've never seen this before. Mm-hmm. The way that she reacts when they say the name Judy Larson. Mm-hmm. You know, they like you said, her eyes are widening <laughs> with the whole tale. And she's um, genuinely surprised to hear that Ricky that died. That Ricky died, yes. The, the way that she night. reacts to that is a big giveaway. That's when she shifts. And also when she says keen, you know, they agree oh, yeah, to do keen. something and she says keen. And even they, they have a moment where Greg is like, keen? <laughs> Which... <laughs> Just outdated 50s slang. Oh, like, to, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, keen. <laughs> cool. Yes, keen. That makes me feel good. But yeah. Yeah, all these hints toward the fact that she's the ghost. But as a kid, I feel like I, again, it was exactly what DJ said. You're pulling all these cliches that mm-hmm. a lot of people in the 90s would have seen before, but you're feeding them to the newest audience, right. the kids that haven't seen right. this before. They don't know. So this was probably the first time I saw a trope like that. Yeah, probably me too. But mm-hmm. to say, you know, there were all these hints, but also I noticed they could touch her and they did often. They had their hands on her shoulders and there were a lot of things that weren't so, like if, if she is a ghost the whole time, the continuity wasn't quite there. <laughs> Well, so I have thoughts on that. Oh, yeah? Um, Like I said earlier, the urban legend of this story has to do with a residual haunting. Mm -hmm. But the end of this episode proves that the actual haunting, not the urban legend, it was an intelligent type 
So this is also referred to as an interactive type. Yeah, because she wasn't, it wasn't just that she was repeating what was happening the night that she died. She was interacting with them. Exactly. So the intelligent slash interactive type is defined as uh, a ghost that is aware of us, can touch us, and communicate with us, therefore interacting with us. Mm -hmm. So that's a specific type of haunting. Interesting. So, you know, these guys didn't Sam and Dean Winchester the whole episode <laughs> by like solving the mystery and helping release this tormented spirit from her unfinished business by completing the cycle for her. She used her own wiles mm -hmm. to gain their trust, convince them. I mean, they did kind of spring it on her. Well, they but did. they didn't know they were helping but her. But she was looking for the right people who would help her solve the mystery mm -hmm. and figure out how she could escape residual annual torment. Mm -hmm. But her ability to release herself from this, to figure it out herself mm -hmm. and leave and leave the graveyard with them right. proves that her... Because she couldn't leave the graveyard without them. Yeah. I mean, that's the only element I don't like about this episode. But I have a feeling that when they were like developing it and he was like, yeah, she's a ghost. She shouldn't be able to leave the uh, graveyard. But it's like getting these two boys to successfully figure anything out without her would have been mm -hmm. complicated. And I think that they liked the idea of showing her in the library learning the story, like learning what happened. Sure. Yeah. Which is, I agree. It was a cool scene. Yeah. But that's really all I've got written down for my notes for this episode. Wow. The last few thoughts I had had to do with potentially, I'm always looking at like what really happened. Mm -hmm. And for Ricky to so quickly kill himself with the confusion of like when he found out about her death versus when he killed himself, mm -hmm. I tend to go way more macabre with like who actually hit and ran, hmm. who actually killed her. Hmm. And why did he go drive himself off a bridge? Do you think he did it? Maybe. Oh my God. Maybe. I wouldn't have thought that, but I they mean. They never said who did it. Right. It's prom night. He could have gotten trashed pre-gaming on his, on his way to go pick her up. Hmm. Kills her by accident. I wouldn't have thought that, but I understand. Doesn't know what to do. Drives off Drives a off a bridge because he can't live with himself. Because he killed her. But then they're reunited. <laughs> well, yeah, later, sure, because he didn't mean to kill her. Yeah, no, no, it wasn't malicious. But his mom covers up the whole thing with, yeah, no, no, he never got the message. He wasn't, he didn't, he wasn't oh. there. He wasn't there. He had nothing to do with it. I wonder if DJ intended you know I mean? for anybody to go there with it. I don't know. Because I feel like that's the kind of thing that he would have dialed back to make it less. Oh, for, no, for sure. That's you know, way too dark. Like you wouldn't do that. That's not pretty dark. That's way too dark. <laughs> but there's also other elements here that are way too dark. There's the dead boyfriend urban legend, and there's also, why was she at the cemetery? Why was there a whole thing to do with, she had to get him a message to meet her at the cemetery. Why did it have to be this very um, clandestine I feel like meeting? that happens in a lot of these legends. There's no, See, like, we wouldn't know. It was something agreed upon between explained. the two of them, or that she wanted, you know, him to figure out or, you know, like there, there's just, well, that's just something that we wouldn't know. I think if, if this particular version were a real life urban legend, that would be a key detail why they had to meet at the graveyard. Mm -hmm. And that would be part of the moral. To me, I think it was so they could tie in this idea of resurrection, Mary. I think so too. But I think if we want to flesh out this story further as a real urban legend, we could say that it's the fifties. She's not allowed to date. Mm -hmm. She's not allowed to go to prom. But she has a secret boyfriend who's going to pick her up. She sneaks out. She goes to the graveyard. Hmm. He's supposed to pick her up, but she's killed in the process. Mm -hmm. It gives it a moral. It's, again, a cautionary tale. A cautionary tale mm -hmm. of 
One, let your kids date, let your kids be kids, <laughs> let them go do things. Don't, mm-hmm. you know, keep them locked away, but also we give her a reason to sneak out and say, don't defy your parents. You know, mm-hmm. don't go sneak out. You don't could have go, it whichever way you needed to, depending on your audience. Don't go riding cars with boys because you might die in the process. Mm-hmm. Yikes. I think there are just multiple layers to this you could throw at it. And those are the variations mm-hmm. you could give this to tell your own version and like add these layers of believability to authenticity that make it seem way more real. Yeah. But earlier you went with the whole Resurrection Mary. Vanishing Hitchhiker and Resurrection Mary. The Vanishing Hitchhiker. When I was doing my research, I went with the Vanishing Hitchhiker mixed with the Dead Boyfriend. And that's the classic version, which I forgot about, but I heard as a kid too, where guy and a girl are off on some road, vacant road, the car breaks down, or they try to leave, the engine won't start. And he has to go for help. Yeah. He leaves her there and she ends up hearing a like scratching sound on the roof of the car there. Oh no. The next morning when the police show up, they escort her away and they tell her, come with us, whatever you do, don't look back. Ew. And she, of course, looks back and sees her boyfriend hanging over the car from a tree limb. Mm-hmm. And it's either his toenails or his fingernails mm-hmm. or his bare skull scraping across the hood of the car. What have we watched that this was done in? I don't know. We watched, I've seen it visually. See, I was thinking I want to make this something visual. I can look back at my handy dandy list. Look at your list. things that I've watched. But see, the dead boyfriend aspect and the vulnerable girl left all alone by herself because of the absent Mm. boyfriend. What was that? That plays in too, to this prom night scenario. Mm. Multiple urban legends converging into one. Okay, hang on. Hanging on. Like the dead boyfriend scraping against the hood of the car. I think I know what it was. Yeah? Yeah. So this dead boyfriend legend that you speak of, Mm -hmm. we can tie this back even more into 90s pop culture because in the 1998 film called Urban Legend, they use that trope and they, they depict that exact scene. I figured they would. It compiles a lot of different urban legends. Sure. It's called Urban Legend. Yeah. Exactly. And they have a scene that is that legend, yeah, yeah, yeah. among many others. That's cool, though. Because as you were saying it, I was like, I've seen it in front of my eyeballs. Which is funny, because I was thinking, like, I want to do a modern version of that. And I got to thinking, you know, I never saw that urban legend movie, mm-hmm. but I bet you that's in that movie. It is. And it is. Well, there you go. There you have it, folks. Mm. <laughs> this episode, okay, we need to get to our scarometer. If you stuck with us this long, listener, you haven't heard an Are You Afraid of the Dark in a while. So scareometer. our scareometer is when we rate the episode in terms of scariness mm-hmm. uh, from 1 to 10. And I will say, uh, DJ mentioned this in his AMA about how he did not set out just to make a scary show. That wasn't what it was all about for him. And he kind of gets upset when people talk about the show wasn't scary enough or, you know, they judge it based on how scary it was. Right. Because that wasn't always the, the plan. It's not the point. Which I respect. And it's not the point. But it's just something fun that we like to do on That's Pretty mm-hmm. Dark. So, <laughs> from 1 out of 10, Christian, where do you rank this on the scarometer? The episode as a whole... Not very scary. Okay. Because again, like I said, it's more poignant and sad mm-hmm. than it is scary. There's no thrilling aspect. There's no fright. So like a three or a four. But the scene going out on the boat mm-hmm. over the water, that spiked it up to like a seven or an eight. Ah. But just the one scene. Just that moment. But the rest of it, I would say, just is much more of a melancholy kind of haunting. Not so scary. Mm-hmm. Not so eerie. Yeah, I agree with that. For me, 
I personally gave it a six overall, not because of the visuals or scary elements, because I love this episode and I love the romance Mm -hmm. and I like the wistful, hollow, haunted kind of vibe. Right. But the idea of it and the idea of this legend, the idea of all automobile accident hauntings. That's true. Hitchhiking hauntings. I've told you before, driving in the car. That's true. My biggest fear is that I see somebody in the road or... You know, you have that moment of somebody coming out needing help and they, you know, yeah. they have bad intentions or whatever. These are things that I regularly think about and have up literal like <laughs> <laughs> problems with in terms of intrusive thoughts when I'm driving. Hmm. So that automatically made it a six for me just because this idea has carried through my life so strongly. Yeah. Well, I mean, when you when you come at it from the vanishing hitchhiker angle, yeah, that's terrifying. Mm-hmm. But this isn't a vanishing hitchhiker. It isn't. But the ideas that it put in my head. That's true. Okay. The yeah. idea of dying on prom night, the idea of unrealized yeah. dreams, the idea mm-hmm. of that tragedy, that youthful tragedy. The youthful tragedy. That bothered is, me my entire childhood. It's heavy. That's very heavy. Like I said earlier, anytime I'm having something good happen or having a milestone happen or, you know, anytime I'm in a positive moment in my life, I'm always waiting mm-hmm. for the tragedy to strike. Right. Because in my mind, it's automatic. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. that and that that is it wasn't entirely this episode, but it was a lot of these dark things I watched as a kid kind of mm-hmm. merged those ideas in my mind. I will say this. Looking at the context behind it, looking at that tragedy of the night and how that's so possible for anyone, I will bump it up to a five. Mm-hmm. Not just the episode itself at face value. But the context behind it mm-hmm. brings that up to like a five. Sometimes we let the context play into these ratings. Sometimes we don't. It depends. Sometimes the context really bumps it up for me. But yeah, this time, if I were to look at driving past the cemetery and seeing some woman mm-hmm. walking up to my car or trying to get in my car or trying to mm-hmm. flag me down outside of a cemetery. Terrifying. That's like a that's like a 12. Yeah, that's a 12 out of 10. That's, that's a, like... That's a 15 out of 10. That's a, that's a no. That's a big... No. Yeah, all these elements combined does make it much scarier. For sure. Because she's seen. She's seen outside the cemetery gates waiting for her ride. She is. And she might try to just get in your car. She might try to make you her ride. Oh, my God. Looking in the windows of 18 wheelers to see if that's the man who killed her. Oh, that's rough. That's so scary to me. (laughs) When you said the word crawling up the side of the... I was like, uh -uh. (laughs) uh-uh. Uh-uh. Nope. I'm not going to be driving through Lynn, Alabama in an 18-wheeler anytime soon. Me neither. I probably won't be driving through in a not 18-wheeler I want to drive through now that I know about it. (laughs) I want to go now. Oh, my God. Man. Wow. What an episode. What what a way to come back to Are You Afraid of the Dark after we've had uh, a month away. Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. Our next Are You Afraid of the Dark episode will be the last episode of the season. Boom. I know. So next time you see us do Are You Afraid of the Dark... We will be wrapping up our first ever season binge. Mm-hmm. And we'll be getting right. Re- not that we'll never come back to Are You Afraid of the Dark. Don't right. worry. We will. Mm-hmm. But we want to give a little bit of love to a different show. Yes. First. We want to do something else, but we're always going to come back. Mm-hmm. So that's that, folks. Thanks for listening. We really appreciate you. We appreciate you being with us through October. And mm. now, as we ease into the Christmas season. <laughs> <laughs> hey, this is our 13th month of podcasting. Hey. There you go. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, it's still spooky season. We were just talking recently, me and Kaylin, how it's spooky season till about late April. Absolutely. <laughs> 
because we, yeah. we kept kind of got going, well, it's spooky till this time. Well, mm-hmm. actually, this actually, happens. Actually, you and could then extend it until, yeah. <laughs> so April showers bring May flowers. And spoops. Even if you get to May 1st, you're like, well, then it's May Day. We can make anything spooky <laughs> is the moral of that story. <laughs> and we, uh, we can and we will. We can and we will. So, yeah, you know, we have a super fun Yuletide season coming up. So mm-hmm. stick around and get ready for some super seasonal spooky things yes go follow our socials yeah please do and Reach say out hey, to us. say what's up that's pretty dark podcast at gmail.com thanks for listening y'all pretty darklings we appreciate you and we will see you next time go drive past your local graveyard yeah go see if you see a mm-hmm. resurrection mary you're never too old to pick up a that's right you're never, <laughs> never too old to pick up a hitchhiking ghost never too old to pick up a hitchhiking ghost but when you do let us know how it goes please do mm-hmm Thanks for listening to That's Pretty Dark, written and produced by Christian Baxter Mott and Kaylin Andrews. Our music is composed by Jonathan Simmons, and our art is provided by Paige Garland at Power Girl Illustration. Join the collective nostalgia and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at That's Pretty Dark Podcast. Share your experiences and let us know what shows, films, or villains still haunt you from childhood at That's Pretty Dark Podcast at gmail.com. Remember, You're never really alone. So until next time, sweet dreams, everyone.